All right. I don't know if there was any sound for that one, but oh, what right. up, do we not have sound? I don't know. I don't know. Who knows what happens with the Zoom thing these days? Oh, no. Everybody Welcome, everyone. Everyone Episode heard the 71. Everyone heard the song in their head anyway. Of course. I know my head was bobbing along the whole time. Yeah, welcome everyone. Pe- pe- Seventy-one people are hearing that song in their in their dreams and nightmares <laughs> now, dude. It's just Maybe. like one of those songs. It is. It is. You know? <laughs> Shit. What up, everybody? Thanks everybody for joining. We got a bunch of people in the chat already. This is cool. This is cool. Yes. All right. Twice in one episode week. seventy-one. This week is the week of Blade history. Oh my god! Two I know. legends. We're getting it all in. It's incredible. We we have Arlo on, and then we have Angie Walton on. This like is they like keep the foundation. More and more OG. It's incredible. I love it. It's that was like, funny hearing the other day Arlo talk about it. Like, damn, you guys are so young. You don't even know. Like, I'm not even like OG. He's <laughs> like, he doesn't I know. He almost I doesn't know. even consider himself OG. So maybe Angie will enlighten us more on this today. Dude, he was just sunning me left and right that whole <laughs> episode. I was like, wow, okay. Uh, it, it was I was dying when he said that um he was like he skated really bad in hoax too, he said, because he hurt his groin and he couldn't do front sides. Yeah. And then he was like royales weren't out yet and all i had was the soul grind so i like my skating wasn't really good i was like that is so crazy to think of it it's crazy that he's like self-conscious about those things you you wouldn't think you know he's, he's arlo <laughs> yeah. you know yeah i know he doesn't have to prove himself or anything but that is just such a funny concept that i, I, I afterwards i took that away and i was like that is fucking hilarious two tricks yeah. in, the, in the game once you hurt your groin you're done he just <laughs> has that level of I guess that level of he the standard of himself, you know? Yeah, I mean. So, because I remember Arlo. seeing him in Hoax 2 and being like, this guy's the man. Yeah, you know? I know. We actually watched Hoax 2 recently on the movie nights. And yeah, uh, we should have mentioned that too because he joined us for that too. Yeah. He was a part of it. Um. So yeah, I'm, I'm really stoked that we have Angie on today with just, yeah. just to follow up on that Blade history. And now we're just going to like, you know, this is the birth of, you know, she gave birth to like one of the most prominent magazines in our in uh you know in blading culture man it was like i I hate to make this comparison but it was similar to like i guess what would be the thrasher of skateboarding you know it was like our bible it came out monthly Mm -hmm. um this is before the internet you know before you can like you know type up some stuff you had to wait for the monthly thing and that's how you'd get your Mm -hmm. blade news Mm -hmm. and uh, you know they carried a bit into the internet age but ultimately ended up not being able to survive and sustain because of you know the change in technology and everything like that but man during that other period, it was without that. I mean, it just caused so much growth. That was the and, best uh, bringing like a magazine to a skate session and like everyone checking it out. Having the new one and bringing yeah. it like, I got the new one. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I was so mad. My, all my boys lost the New York, New York issue when I got it. And I brought it skating in the city that day. And then I go, I'm taking the ferry ride home and I'm like, damn, someone snatched it from me. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that lasted me a few hours. Yeah. No. Um, they were gold back then Nostalgic if you lost your magazine shit. yeah if you lost it it was a big deal uh you want to do your spiel they're waiting for you they're i would love to do you. my spiel they're waiting for the spiel i'd love to do my spiel you gotta wet um, the whistle before the spiel you gotta wet the whistle before the spiel long day <laughs> of work um well everyone uh you know my spiel oh shoot i think i pressed a button no, that did something it's not it's, oh you did okay it's cool the awesome it's um, the new spiel video oh the spiel video okay so please if you don't already, please go to our YouTube and subscribe. Hit the notification bell so you get a ding and a little notification when we start an episode and we have legends on like we do today. Um, if you would like to go to our Facebook, give us a like, go to our Instagram, follow us. We have an iTunes. And if you go to our iTunes, you can give us a five-star rating, give us a comment. Um, 
you know, share the video if you would like on, it really helps with the, uh, something to do with algorithms <laughs> and it just helps boost the video up. And if you comment and if you can now, if you're watching live, please hit the like button, smash it. Some would say smash it, smash the like button. And um, we also, if you are inclined to support our show and you like the work that we're doing, we have an online store. We have merch. We have a couple new shirts coming out. We also have a Patreon. So if you would like to become a Patreon, a patron of our Patreon, that that's an option as well. And we appreciate that. I sound like a tongue someone, twister. Patron of our Patreon. Someone in the chat said, "Get to the hit bomb." <laughs> See what I'm saying? We gotta spiel. It's, I gotta stop reading these chats, man. I gotta focus. Okay. Uh, um, so yeah. Um, but speaking. So of, yeah, that's my spiel. So speak, I guess speaking of speaking of the the you said the online store we have. Right. A couple of new shirts out and yeah, I'm we still just hit, them. Yeah, we just hit 10K on our um, Instagram page also. So for that, we're doing a little 10K contest slash giveaway. Let me get that video going for you. Um, yeah, we're hosting a 10K giveaway on Instagram. So if you don't already like us, oh, hold on. If you don't, there we go. If you don't follow, like us, like us. Follow us on Instagram and YouTube. And why is this not playing? Oh, there we go. There are two shirts. Um, all you have to do is post a classic clip of yourself referencing another clip. And oh, why is this doing this? What's going on here? I'm messing okay, this whole we're, thing we're, up. We're, we're having some technical difficulties. <laughs> but, but anyway, yeah, so yeah. on Instagram, um, post a clip yourself referencing a classic clip. I have the clips now playing so you could see what I'm talking about. Right. And um, use hashtag Jump Street Podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and subscribe to us on YouTube. The deadline is September 8th and you will win $100 cash money and one of each of our new t-shirts. So I'm looking forward to these. There's already a few out already. Yeah. Um, I love the and, idea of this contest. It's just, yeah. you know, you see a trick of, of, of like your old favorite skater, you know, you recreate it, you do, you do whatever the signature move or something that had been done and mm -hmm. it's just fun. It, it's yeah. like a fun contest. Hopefully I get to do mine this weekend. But um, yeah, because I'm gonna post a clip too, and Billy said you were gonna do the same as well. Yeah, I gotta do one to reference sure. it. So September look forward 8th. to seeing that. September eighth is the deadline. Get deadline. Them in. Um, all right, I guess, bucks, I guess I guess two shirts. Yeah, hundred bucks and two shirts. Come on, that's a hundred dollar clip right there. We're skating anyway. Why not? <laughs> um, so let me get to my hit bomb, I guess, and then we'll keep it moving. Um, get to everyone, the hit bomb. Everyone, check oh. out hitbomb.com. Mm. For your 100% organic CBD topicals. I know there's a lot of you old people watching right now. You quote unquote old leaders. Um, for your sore muscles and your sore joints, rub some hip bomb on you and you'll be good to go the next day feeling great. Um, when you go to hipbomb.com, use code jumpstreet at checkout and you'll save yourself 15% off your entire order. So you get to save money. It helps us out. And we're all happy about that. Um, there's also free samples on the website too. If you uh, never used CBD before and you want to try it out, they have free samples. You just pay for shipping. It's like 50 cents or something like that. Also, so, I got to, I got to say this, I got to back you back you up on the hip bomb here. <clears throat> so I was using, it was working for me. I was using the rub. Mm -hmm. um, Corey started using the, the drops, right? Right, right oh, before she went. Yeah. Those drops <laughs> right before she went to sleep. Yeah. My partner, Corey, she doesn't, she doesn't, you know, drink, she doesn't smoke, she doesn't do anything like that. But she took the CBD just before she went to sleep. And she said, she was like, wow, I'm having like the most sound nights of sleep. Cause she like toss and turn. She's like, I, she'd sleep straight through just a droplet of the CBD. So anyone who's like, you know, never tried CBD or not interested or like not interested in like th those kind of products, but maybe have a sleeping issue. 
I recommend that because it's really helped my uh, partner. That's funny you said that because I was talking to my friend yesterday about it and he said the same thing. He's like, yo, I started taking it before I go to sleep and I have like the best night's sleep. And I was like, yeah. I've done that once or twice and I had the same thing. So last night I did it again for the first time mm-hmm. in a few weeks and same thing. I woke up feeling great because I usually it's incredible. Just, I usually just have a few drops in the morning, but because um, I don't not, sleep well. I don't sleep time. through the night. You know what I mean? So yeah. like that's huge for me. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. Everyone check it out. Hitbomb.com. And um, hitbomb.com, code JumpStreet, 15% off. But we're going to get to our a special guest real quick. I just want to do a quick shameless plug. Do I it. just had a new VOD that came out. Um, if you want to check out, it's $5. It's about the cost of a, of a, a beer if you're out at the bar. Um, so, yeah, it's on my Instagram, homie Bill. You can go to Blader Gang Instagram or 9to5media Instagram. And the link is in the bio. It's 5 bucks. Uh, did something with Erod. And uh, yeah, I have to congratulate you on that because that shit is fire and Thank people are, are loving it too. And it was so sick seeing a section from you again. And we'll do like a, we're going to do like a little separate thing next week about it. But cool. Um, it was fucking, I got to, I got to hand it to you. That was, I got props on that. Ah, it was, like, it was thanks, so sick seeing like a full edit of you. And even though I have been skating with you for the past few years, not as often as I used to, it was still sick mm-hmm. to see like a full edit of you. And Erod did a good job. It was yeah, I'm really happy with, with everything we did together. It was cool. Definitely so, highly recommend everyone go check it out. After this, I should have put it in the description now, but it will be in the link in bio, in the, ah, the YouTube description. Thank you, um, brother. One more thing. If you're in the Tri-State area this weekend, the BPSO is going on, or the Pop-Off, as I like to call it. The at Pop-Off. 181st, pop-off at the Pop-Off. The pop-off. As pop-off coined the by Montre. Yeah. Hopefully he shows up. Um, yep. 181st Street in Manhattan this Saturday, um, 11 a.m., you can register online if you want to compete, or you can register when you get there. Um, 11 a.m. sharp, though, which means like 3 p.m. skater time. So if 3 you're going to be there, skater time. Uh, I'll see if you're going to be there. I'll see you there. You should come out. It's going to be a good time. Now, I think we le- we've left our incredible guest waiting long enough. Yeah, she might be sleeping. I hope she's I hope she's not pissed. <laughs> but, but ladies and gentlemen, without further um, ado. Yeah. The Angie Walton. Amazing Angie Walton. There we go. Oh no, you're sideways oh, again. This keeps you're sideways again, Angie. We lost you. <laughs> you gotta do like we the gotta, refresh. We gotta recalibrate this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll flip it back. And uh, should it go back? Yeah, there you go. Okay. You gotta be. Dude, like, give yes. Me my money. Give me my me. money. <laughs> yes, we got you. We got you. Look at well, the i had to plant myself directly <laughs> in the line of the sun you're gonna catch a tan today then dude no <laughs> it was so beautiful and i'm sitting out here and the breeze is blowing i'm like oh this is awesome i've got my little drink set up and then right as it hit 4:55, <laughs> the sun came in <laughs> i'm like oh my god so i'm gonna tolerate it as long as i can look at you in the sun. <laughs> that's perfect you got a little side shade over there in the corner <laughs> Oh, dude, this chair is amazing. I was like walking out on my porch and I looked across the street and uh, being the dumpster diver that I am, I'm always (laughs) scouting what somebody's left in the trash. And I like see this chair across the streets. I don't know. It could have been like late. I don't know when it was, but I look like a vagrant. I'm like walk across the street, up on the shoulders. That's a big chair to carry too. It looks big. (laughs) No problem. Yeah, I can't see. So I'm just going off the tone of your voices. Okay, perfect. Well, everything looks great. You look great right now. So nothing to worry about. Yes. Thank you for uh, joining us today. That's, Thank that's you. all I care about. Okay, interview done. I look great. <laughs> <laughs>
We're out of here. I've always been so concerned about my visual appearance. Ah, uh, you look that was great. A joke. <laughs> um, well, first of all, thank you. It's really good seeing you after so long. You too, fish. I was yeah. like, what? Billy O'Neill? Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was happy that you were willing to do this. Um, so I, I think many in this chat who are watching know you. Um, maybe some do not. I like to start things off from a very organic place in the beginning. And, um, you know, you had such an incredible impact on, on this sport and had so, so many of us just like, you know, waiting to see your magazine. We're talking about pre-internet days uh, when this was just like the thing that we needed. But how did you get started on your journey and how did you get hooked into this thing that we do called, you know, whatever it's called? Aggressive rollerblading. <laughs> well, I come from a storied past. Uh, I'm gonna have to abridge it because it's kind of gnarly. I ran away well, this this podcast is all about stories. <laughs> so, yeah, but this one would take the entire podcast. I'll break. I'll, I'll shorten it down. We'll make room. Or everybody knows this one because so many of us did. Grew up really poor. Mm -hmm. uh, Where? Where'd you grow up? Yada yada and uh, ran away with the carnival uh, at like, I don't know, right out of not graduating high school. So I ran away with the carnival, dressing up like a boy and putting the rides together and lifting pig iron. And no, an actual carny. I'm sorry, Angie, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. Just a second. I'm sorry. When, when you say you ran away with the carnival, so like the carnival was in town. I, I just need a little context on that. I know we don't, we don't have to get crazy into it, but just like a little. Yeah, I, the carnival was in town. I had a, a psycho boyfriend that uh, won't go there. Okay. It was traumatic. And uh, I just was like, I'm taking off. So I took off with the carnival. <laughs> I shouldn't okay. even... I, I shouldn't even jump down that rabbit hole. I don't yeah, know. no, no, I I love it, but I just, I just didn't know. You know, you hear things like that, but I just didn't know the the carnival was so willing to hire. Like, just like, <laughs> oh yeah, sure, we got jobs. Like, I, I never knew that it was such a job rich economy. The carnival. I sat in a little booth on the <laughs> on the strip. You know, where you go and buy your tickets for the rides. Yeah. And then, um, crazy boyfriend tracked me down, tried to kill me, and uh, I had met someone he like saved my life and uh then i was with his family and um so i was like part of a carnival family for a little while it's very very tight Whoa, that's cool he just reached out to me the other day actually uh <clears throat> but uh leah's earned just busy because you gotta reuse it peasy pull is off <laughs> is this carnival just... talk yeah what yeah. was that <laughs> that's Wait, there's... because uh you know it's like they don't, it's like Washington, D.C., you know, like they're like a, a traveling city with their own yeah. laws and rules and things. And it, it's got a really interesting past and history. So, yeah, that was interesting for a while. But then I was like, OK, my time here is done. And, uh, you know, I was tra I was driving the owner of the carnival actually, like, you know, looked at me and saw, OK, that's a weird one. And uh, decided <laughs> that he was going to have me drive his cars on their yeah. convoy. So, you know. I did not like that. I don't like driving long, you know, like by myself. Sure. Like I, I, will, I will fall asleep in an intersection just going to the store. So <laughs> I was just like 
it was torturous for me. And I was just like, they were offering me drugs and everything. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh. So after a while, I was just like, okay, time for me to like go back to the real world and uh, whatever that back. is. Right? Yeah. And uh, I didn't graduate. So I wanted to go to college and study architecture. <clears throat> and so I went to my high school counselor and I told her what I wanted to do. And she said, Angie, you know, if anybody else walked in here and said, hey, I didn't graduate, but I want to go to college, I'd tell them, let's sit down and talk for a while. She just signed a paper and off I went because I had already passed all the pre-college exams trying to uh, last minute graduate because I was a complete fuck off. I had no interest in school at all. So uh, yeah, so I went off to college and started studying art history and uh, architecture and computer programming and um, that didn't last long. I, I was working all night at a bar trying to like pay my way and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel so weird. Uh, I've been trying to like speed up my life. History. No, I love I love this though. This is so freaking fascinating. I didn't know I, any of this. Uh, I was even on the college cheerleading team, which was really fucked up. You did everything. I, I did, <laughs> Look at this range. One second you're in the carnival, next second you're on the college cheerleading team. <laughs> this is such a the juxtaposition is insane. <laughs> I made them. I made the uh, cheerleading squad at that time wear the big socks. You know. Uh, I was an outcast there too. So they did not, the other cheerleaders did not want me there. I mean, I didn't <laughs> practice. I wouldn't do shit. I was just like, whatever. And, uh, but in my hometown, uh, I grew up in Winter Haven, Florida and there's a place called Cypress Gardens and they had a ski team. You probably saw it on, I don't know, you guys are too young to know the old Go-Go's video with the girls like. No, uh, totally. It's like the triangle. That, huh? It's like the tri the girls skiing, but it's like a triangle. Yeah, like a pyramid, and pyramid. then like yeah, yeah, yeah. and they've got the foofy hats and the right. ballet on the water, basically. Yeah, yeah. That was filmed in my hometown at Cypress Gardens because that was where the Cypress Gardens ski, uh, ski team was. So that bar I was working in for college, it was called Ski One Lounge, and it was across from Cypress Gardens. So they would go there at night to drink, and they would see me, of course, because I'd been lifting pig iron out on the. I was kind of a rough, whatever, tomboy. Right. And we had big round conference table type tables in the bar. And uh, those guys would be there till like closing. And they would see me like picking these tables up and like carrying them out and stuff. And they're like, fuck, what's up with this like Herculean, like five foot two chick? Yeah. So I got to know them and they invited me to audition for uh, the ski team. Actually, that didn't even happen yet. One of them asked me if I wanted to go uh, air gliding, you know, like. Uh, oh, yeah. Hang gliding. Hang gliding. I always wanted to do that, you know, like on a kite. Oh, no. Kite like on, on the boat, right? Like where they. Yeah. That one? Yeah, yeah. Parasail. Yeah. Parasail, so, yeah. Parasail. Yeah, I, I, there's a fly tormenting me. I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> do that. Of course I want to do that. Yeah. So I go out there to the boat, and I guess the weather was bad. And the guy I was going out there with was the husband of like the original Betty Boniface. She like originated um, swivel skiing. Her son actually was a champion something Boniface, champion um, wakeboarder. I'm, so, I'm sorry, what's swivel? Oh, oh, okay, wakeboarder. Okay, so this is called well, swivel skiing. Is, I know. Uh, okay. It's a ski, and the when you stick your binding in, it spins 360. 
Oh, what the hell? I've never seen and that. You have it's a just... rope, and you can do 360s on your ski and all kinds of crazy things. Huh. And ballet, and yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> look up swivel skiing. I'm going to look but... it up. Yeah. <laughs> we need, yeah. We anyway, need, we need... So it was too. On, it, it was like too windy or something like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was like, what's that thing? And it was a swivel ski. And he's like, that's a swivel ski. You know, like, uh, I was like, let me try. And, you know, I grew up in the city of 100,000 lakes or whatever, Winter Haven. So I grew up on the water, you know, water skiing. We, that's what we would do after school. So I felt comfortable, you know, and uh, I guess I got up and just was doing stuff right away. And he was like, fuck, you know, like there's a lot of these girls on the team. They practice for years to do this stuff. So, you, you know, you should you should do it. So that got me interested. And so everything at college kind of started to take a back seat. I was like, man, I want to get out there and do that. But you have to have the equipment. You have to have the right boats. You have to have a spotter because you put mm-hmm. your foot in the rope. And it, yeah. and it go down, somebody's got to pull it or you'll just get mm-hmm. dragged to death. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it wasn't something I could really take Do on your own. Off. Yeah. So then they were holding auditions and I went to audition, but the dude that was holding the auditions was this misogynistic, like, ah, right away. He was like, uh-uh, don't like her at all. And he totally like floored the boat and like, just, <laughs> he oh, was shit. not let me get off that dock and I was like fuck man like I was really interested in that but there was this girl who watched the whole thing and she would come to the bar a lot and she was like come up come come by you know like she just started like taking me out so I started learning how to do it and I got two good I sound like such a cop I got two good two oh Amazon's here (laughs) (laughs) uh I got two good too quick and so that kind of made me an enemy of the entire team of uh, swivel skiers. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, they just didn't want to put me into the lineup and stuff because they were just very, like, bougie. Like, who's this chick? She used to wait our, wait on us across the street for cocktails, you know? Why she thinks she can just come over here and start doing this shit? Mm-hmm. So they moved me to Orlando, to SeaWorld, where nobody would know that I had literally just started. So I went to Orlando, moved there, and uh, started doing everything. So I the top of the pyramid and doing the, the swivel ski thing just didn't really do enough for me. So I started doing the jump ramps. Have you ever seen that? You know, have you ever seen a ski yeah. show? Where- yeah, I've seen the oh. ramps before. I didn't know it was swivel skiing, but yeah, like wakeboarding I've seen. Yeah, well, this wasn't on a swivel ski. This was on jump skis. Oh, okay, yeah, so, yeah. Jump skis with the guys. So there'd be like five guys and me in the middle, and we all go over the ramp at the same time. That shit's uh, crazy. That that sounds crazy. Skiing and swivel uh, trick skiing and barefooting was fun. But anyway, so there I was, a SeaWorld water skier for a couple of years. Didn't really fit in there either. Uh, everyone would tell me I was weird. I mean, I grew up with everybody calling me weird. You know, you're weird. You're going to go to hell. You don't believe in religion. and Because I grew up with my hippie mom and my sister. And we just didn't fit into a small southern town too well. But, uh, yeah, so they kept telling me I was weird, too. And uh, it was getting kind of old. But uh, by that time, I had found the acid house scene. So I was, this was like the very beginnings of the Acid House scene. If anybody- so like Acid House is music. Yeah. But okay. there was and this, I, 
whole scene, the acid house scene was basically, it would start at like 2 a.m. and go to like 8. Like raves. And like uh, our resident DJ was DJ Kimball Collins, who's like super uber famous now in the scene. And uh, so I started going to the house scene, which made me even weirder to all the people I worked with. Because I was listening to this music and they were like, that's not music. They're like, you know, that's not Skinner. Like, uh, <laughs> George Michaels and shit, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. wham. And here I was listening to, uh, you want to suck my what? You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. I <laughs> so hear I was even weirder to them. I'm part of the acid house scene. And, yeah. Uh, so I and was then you, going- Then you were like, how could I get even weirder? Oh, yeah. Rollerblade too. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't intentional. So- <laughs> I got fired from skiing because there was a, a girl there that I, this is when I, my first lesson in not everyone is like you, you know, like uh, some people are just shady motherfuckers and, and are just nasty people, you know, like, and I, I just did not grow up like that. So I, it, not in my wildest dreams would I have ever thought somebody would like have it out for me. Yeah. But she did. Cause I kind of took her spot in the boys lineup, you know, the jumps and stuff. And mm-hmm. I guess she didn't like me very much. So she just made up everything that she could possibly make up because they had a system where if you got marked up three times, you had, they had no choice. They, why is it Gmail get away with the notifications? They get, they fire you. So I was like, okay, sob, sob, you know, I'm fired. I don't get to turn into a leather strap piece of bacons being out in the sun, but it was a great time. It was super fun. Yeah. So I went fully into the acid house scene and was just working there. I worked in a, they set up a big, uh, they set up what used, it was an old theater called Beecham Theater in downtown Orlando. And they set up the, what used to be the old projection room. Mm-hmm. I had come in to serve drinks because I was working at the bar. I had come in to work on Halloween with like uh, this like glow in the dark type or black light. I looked like something from Blade Runner and so the owners got the idea because you know everybody's tripping balls on ecstasy and acid and so everybody wanted to touch me all night so they got the idea that like we're gonna set you up because I was an artist as well you know when I was a kid I was an artist so I was like painting everybody and they said we're gonna set you up with this theater projection room I'm talking like 20 giant fluorescent black lights so it just glowed in there and I would be in there all night. Just people would come and give me things to paint or dripping crowns. <laughs> so I just got paid to fuck around in the black light and paint people all night. You know, <laughs> were definitely a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, were you, were, you, were, you, were, you, were you like so tripping got, out too? I, the, one of the owners was a, was a professional electrician, like the kind of troubleshooting electrician that goes mm-hmm. into like giant high rises. And uh, I became an apprentice for him. So I started learning electric and doing the lights and all the stuff for like bands like Faith No More and all these crazy bands. But because of my, oh, I hadn't even gotten there yet. Uh, there was a guy that came to the ski show looking for me. Uh, his name was Tom Edelston and he did circus stuff. And he had come and seen a ski show and he wanted to proposition me to work for him. But when he came there, I wasn't there anymore. Plus you already had the carny experience. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, you already had the carnival experience. Exactly. I already so had you're like, a, what's the circus? Small thing to a giant, you know? Right. Yeah. So I went, I, I guess he was looking for me and uh, tracked me down there and asked me if I would come do this 
circus show where I I learned to do web, which is, you know, those ropes that you climb up and you see the girls being spun around on the ropes. Yeah, 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 color yeah. Ropes. yeah. So I learned, he taught me web and I learned to do web and a little bit of trapeze and the floor stuff and everything. And uh, so when I started doing the lights for all these bands and stuff, it was easy, you know, I'd be up on the rigging and I remember they'd be so nervous. They're like, Angie, you know, we'll get a ladder. I'm like, dude, circus. <laughs> so I'm like up on yeah. the rigging, hanging from my toes, like setting the lights for the bands and stuff. And they're like, what the fuck? But then that same group, um, they were going to go to California. And if there's one thing that I heard my whole life was, you should move to California. You're a weirdo. You'd fit in out there. So I was like, huh, they're going to California. I'm in. So my whole thing with the whole web carnival thing was just to get a free ride out to California. Nice. And in the meantime, I had, you know, when you when we were on the ski team, you know, you wear a lot of makeup. It's very foofy, you know. It's like, you know, you're in a bikini 24-7. You're always performing for an audience. It's very ego-oriented, you know. You know, like, yeah. and showmanship. And, you know, by that point, I was living on a dead commune. I'd been in the acid house scene. I dove deep into the dead. And I had done enough drugs at that point, LSD and, and mushrooms and everything to where I, yeah. I literally, it's you, like you I You can't had, be in that scene without that. That's like, no. a, it's part of it, yeah. And it's like I had revolted against my hippie uh, spiritual childhood. I had revolted by trying to become a yuppie, wearing the makeup, doing the stuff, going to the mall and shopping. And that was my revolt. And it's a certain point, I, of course, came back to my roots and was like, like, this isn't for me, you know, so like out went makeup, out went, you know, at that point, I had like zero ego at all. It was like, you know, I, I wanted to like groove to music and be active and do stuff. And so here was this ticket out to California. And uh, <clears throat> I took it. And it's funny, because it was with all these like really fresh-faced, naive, young gymnasts, you know, who had led so much sheltered life, <laughs> I think. And again, here I was the sore thumb, but the, the funniest story of how I came up in California is because like I said, I lived on a dead commune. I had this big house on the water in Florida and uh, all these- When, when you say a dead commune, you mean like Grateful Dead? Yeah. Yes, okay. Yes. Yes. You know, we had our own set of bubble girls. We lived on the lake. And <laughs> the night before I was to go, get in the car and drive across country to California with this like spandex fluorescent team of acrobatic nubiles, they held a party for me. So we were doing acid until like I was literally tripping balls when I showed up to this like. 16 year old dude's house with his parents you know cross on the wall the furniture with covers on it you can imagine the whole thing we're about to get in a van all of us and drive to california yeah, I don't you, 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 sh you show up looking like charlie manson and the family just tripping I, out right i was like you know i was like full on like 
pupils this large yeah. <laughs> said goodbye to my friends and i was like it was the trippiest shit to be sitting in that living room waiting for everybody to get in that van yeah but i bet i don't think anyone's ever heard this story so congratulations <laughs> i love this story there's definitely a different take on it <laughs> so i uh i came out to california and we were supposed to be going to well we did many stops along the way um I got to meet George Strait <laughs> and see Dylan uh, in Dylan's family seats at a show because we were doing all these car these fairs, right. you know, like, and uh, so we get to L.A. County. It was the L.A. County Fair, which one would assume is going to be in L.A. Like that's sure. my whole goal, right? No, <laughs> yeah. that shit's in Pomona, man. That's like it's way <laughs> the fuck in the middle of nowhere. You're right. So I get out there. And I'm like, what the fuck? This is the shittiest place ever. <laughs> and I'm all by myself, you know, so I'm wandering around the fairground. Yeah, California sucks. <laughs> I am, I'm like, what the fuck? And, and I look at a map and I'm like, I'm nowhere near LA or anywhere that I thought I would be. Mm. I have no car. Meh. So anyway, I'm walking around the fair looking for something to occupy myself other than cotton candy and bullshit somehow i've taken these two little they seem like little carnival rats to me so i kind of took them under my wings so i was hanging out with like an like an eight and a nine year old every day because they were like <laughs> the coolest people i could find and uh, i love this i love this story so <laughs> i went way to the other side of the fairgrounds and i found this ramp and uh, it was the gail webb demo so gail webb say no to drugs <laughs> yeah like anyone <laughs> ironic I'm anything. not familiar with the Gale Webb demo. What is that? What's that? I don't know what that is. What's the Gale Webb demo? <laughs> <laughs> Gale Webb. You're asking what Gale Webb is? Yeah, I don't know what that is. Gale Webb is a woman that started putting together demos like back in the day with uh, Primo and Diane were like this skateboarding duo. We're talking like Dude. late 80s here? Yeah. Yeah, okay. so, so like late 80s. Diane worked with her and um, she did all these demos with BMX and skateboard. And so her story was she survived a, a skydiving fall. Oh, shit. I don't no. know how, but her parachute didn't deploy and she survives. Yeah, like oh my, everything she was a badass. She was yeah, like clearly. just a real sweet woman though like so her whole thing was living you know and like so she took all these kids under her wing and she would go and put up this half pipe so i started hanging out there every day obviously and i met jess dearenforth who was like mm. uh doing the show and craig campbell and uh just just was on the bike back then right yeah he was on bmx mm -hmm. oh. bye husband leaving for work Say bye, bye. Bye. <laughs> Working the late shift, huh? Yeah, right. A uh, restaurant. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, where was I? You meeting Jess? Gail, Gail, and you were saying she uh, had like a half pipe. You were hanging out there. You met Jess Dan. Yeah. He was on a bike yeah. back then. I was they like, huh? Because Jess Danforth was, for a lot of people who don't know, the guy who owned England and Fifty Fifty. Um, he was a former yeah. pro BMXer. Major pro BMXer. Right. So like, you know, he had come out from um, from England, 
being a pro, you know, still didn't have his green card. What so many skaters have gone through here, you know, they want to come over to the U.S. and and be a part of the scene and everything. Well, he was like, you know, upper upper echelon. <laughs> Husband's back. Um, upper upper echelon of like pro riders, you know, like yeah. uh, really really well known. But it was kind of having a, a die off, you know, like uh, there were no demos, there was no money, no sponsorships, and so forth. But he was doing this demo. And uh, interesting story. I don't know if you guys know the story of Gator, but he used to ride for uh, Gail Webb, and he was supposed to do a show the day that the day he didn't show up. And they were like, "Where's Gator?" You know, but oh, he had just murdered his girlfriend. So I don't know if you guys That's... know the story of Gator, but I definitely don't. It's crazy. Yeah, look up I Gator. Love... More Internet, yes, <laughs> Gator and skateboard, and you'll hear crazy story that you can look at there. It's but uh, anyway, okay. so I started hanging out at, huh? No, I said, okay, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, I'm completely captivated right now. Continue. Bye again. <laughs> I uh, started hanging out there like every day because I was like, I'm so into these people. Right. You know, like, I feel like brethren. And of course they were into the house scene. I was like, yeah. So obviously I wanted to like get on that round. So yeah. just like bike, I started riding his bike and it's funny, he came to see my show and when he came to see my show, I was like, spin me fast. I like to be spun really fast on the web and they spun me so fast that when I came down, my the blood vessels in my eyes at first and so my eyes were just solid red with like blue pupils in the middle or blue, okay. blue dots. So that the was my introduction to Jeff. <laughs> those guys i was like hey i'm a complete psycho check out my blood the eyes but uh yeah so i started getting on the bmx bike and every day i would go over there and just get on the bmx bike and i was having a, a, a blast and so just I, I can't remember how long the fair lasted um uh, but it was long enough and uh we all went to proper la they like took me to proper la to a club scene and, and the, the the house scene the rave scene back then was just phenomenal so like you know we would show up on one occasion this was actually after jess had just had a demo in malta <laughs> he was so fancy so bougie for me back then he was like you're going to malta right. so in malta but uh craig campbell who also was a major pro bmxer and a skateboarder and uh turned out to be in kind of an infamous dj in london but um, he and I took off. I need to back up for a second and just clear this up. When my team was going to leave to keep going on with the tour, my trip was over. <laughs> I was like, okay, I got here to California. I won't be going any further. So <laughs> no plans. Bye -bye. I'm, I'm out. And the guy that ran the show, his wife's daughter, wife's sister, stayed with me turns out they had a brother and uh on, had a place off the sunset strip so i was like oh hell yeah okay place to stay fine so we stayed and went to this club and it was like a, an old abandoned warehouse but back then it was like you would just get word on the street that there was going to be an event and you know people had pagers so you'd get the pager number you call the pager number 
and you'd be given like, go to this intersection, talk to the homeless man. You go there, you talk to a homeless man, he hands you something, it's got a phone number on it. You call the phone number, they give you another, it was like a, a game of cat and mouse because they'd get busted. Like a scavenger hunt. Yeah, so eventually you end up in this like abandoned industrial warehouse and uh, this one night was just crazy. It's like the floors were falling in and the music was amazing and we're wandering all over the place. The next thing you know, you know, SWAT team is there. Like they're just descending everywhere. There's helicopters and lights and cops and riot gear. And uh, actually I have a photo from back then of me standing next to a cop in riot gear from that event, which is really Damn. cool. Damn, that's badass. But uh, anyway, so long story short on that, you know, the fair ended, I decided to stay. I stayed with uh, my friend's brother, you know, whatever that had the place on Sunset Strip for like a hot minute. She wanted to stay, but she was nervous about staying. And I'm like, dude, you've got family out here. I got nada. So I like literally got a plane ticket um, back to Florida to my dead compound, <laughs> packed up all my shit, said goodbye to my boyfriend. He was there. And uh, I took back off to California with uh, $100 to my name. And I left that on the plane. Oh, no. no not i was more of a fish brain back then than than most people so i actually had nothing but i had you, met you had a hundred bucks to your name and you left it on the plane <laughs> yeah yeah left it it's, on like, a, it's like a movie it's like a tv show no it's really cool though because that they is a tv show <laughs> they found me i got my hundred bucks back which oh wow spent a lot of the time that's so, incredible fred campbell was staying in huntington beach upstairs of a, um all the england guys had kind of converged in Huntington Beach at one point, all the skaters and BMXers and stuff from England. So there was just like this group of, of people similar to what you find, you know, like on Hope Store or whatever, or when, when yeah. stuff was bread and we had everybody just staying at the house. It was kind of like that, you know, they had their own little yeah. compound of English pros. And so I ended up <clears throat> staying with at Paul's house, Paul Wright. He's the guy that did the art for the Daily Bread magazine. Initial the first one. Yeah. So I stayed at Paul's house, and uh, at that time I'm still writing BMX. You know, I, yeah. I was going to ramps. I was doing little airs. You know, uh, I was like, I was having fun with it. Doing your thing, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, you know, like I said, like the demos and stuff had died off, and the industry had kind of died off for BMX. So Jess was looking for ways to like monetize to make a living. Yeah. And he'd heard about this this rollerblade thing you know that was going on and he thought well maybe i can MC, maybe you know he just wanted to get involved somehow because you know you need to make a living or you're gonna have to get like a nine to five or something so he was kind of like working that scene if you will and uh, i wanted to like give a call and response to arlo because he was laughing at you for compressing history you know like when you get involved in something everything that happens from the minute you get involved on is really crystal clear it could be two months apart but you know that era like no this sure. was one era and that was another era but yeah. everything that happened before you becomes like a flat two-dimensional screen of everyone you know like you, you don't differentiate one thing from the other so i was laughing because arlo was laughing at you <laughs> about compressing 
and then telling you how it was. Yeah. He, uh, he, <laughs> from he's my like... perspective, standing behind him, he was compressing, and I was like, you're so Oh, funny. shit, damn. It's funny how that happens, because, uh, oh, the fr- I want to set it clear from my perspective, because I'm going to flatten behind me as well a little bit. I, I dug into it to, to know these facts a little more, but, like, um, basically, you had this marketing thing going on with Rollerblade that, that they wanted to hire people to pass out stuff on the boardwalk. You know, they were trying to promote rollerblading. Or wow, like that. That's crazy. That's, That's an active campaign. Yeah, it was like, we're going to yeah. like hire people to go pass out shit on the boardwalk. Wow. So they looked around for people and just propositioned them. Well, Jill Schultz was a natural thing because, you know, she was already kind of involved because of ice skating and that whole, you know, they already had kind of a bond and she was doing like camps and stuff. And rollerblades were super, super new at this point. Like just what, a couple years old? Not even, I don't think. Well, maybe a year, I think. They just came out rollerblades. I could be wrong. Jill should call me up and be like, oh, no, Angie. This is not happening. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, you know, from my understanding, there was like, they got people from different walks of life, you know, like you would do when you're trying to make a Benetton commercial. So they got Chris, Mm -hmm. Chris Morris, I think, had already, was already in the mix from sort of a more corporate perspective and from just being a crazy motherfucker and he did like freestyle skiing and uh you know they found of course jill was involved chris mitchell was jill's dance partner and ice skating so that came in and then there were like people that came in because they were like deanna wilshire and stuff who were like uh you know pretty much what you would consider pro in roller skating dancing you know like they competed in that so forth and then you had people like kim bowie who was a dancer uh you know she started as a dancer and then learned to learn to dance on skates and um so you had these and then they found doug boyce and and action jackson on the actual venice boardwalk and propositioned them so here you've got this conglomeration of like the real world and all Hmm. these people and then you've got something organic that happens like chris edwards organic he got a pair of skates and started to define what that was going to mean to have a pair of skates. Definitely. You know, like, I mean, he was <clears throat> just took me the first time to see rollerblades in action. And it was, to, I saw Chris Edwards on a ramp and I was like, Holy shit. Like, can you, you know, talk like, about that first time damn. you ever saw rollerbladers like or Chris Edwards, I guess. Like, what was that like? That was the first thing I ever saw was just took me and, I saw Chris Edwards airing out of a ramp and just went, I mean, his style, I don't know if there was ever a time that he ever did anything on a pair of skates and it didn't look like phenomenal. It's like he was just so much confidence in his style and his skating. (laughs) He was born the airman. Yeah. (laughs) You know, he was, he was a a God. God Damn this son. (laughs) You roasting over there? Can you see me? Not yet. There we go. Fuck this. I have a palm tree. <laughs> I have such dots in my eyes right now that I can't even see. Okay, so. Having a flashback. First, <laughs> that first time, it's just literally on the other side of my face. Now, right? <laughs> you got a little shade on the on the right eye, it looks like. Oh, I know. <laughs> I've got a cock. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I was blown away, but I didn't know anything about anything, you know? I'm like this hippie, acid house, Grateful Dead, 
crazy, you know, I remember Jess would always be like, do, do you know what could happen? Because I would just go for shit, you know, just kamikaze style. And he'd be like, do you know what could happen if you missed your peg on the coping there? And I'm like, I don't want to think about that shit. <laughs> I'm not thinking about what can go wrong. This is just fun. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> where was I? I keep losing myself. So you're, you're seeing Chris Edwards, the first guy you ever saw, uh, and he's yeah. incredible. Your first experience yeah. seeing someone on Blades. Sorry for my half-timers. Yeah, so I, uh, at that point, you know, things move really fast at that point. You know, like, everything's moving fast when you're that age. And uh, How old are you at this point? Um, 22, 22. Okay. I'm really, really bad with time, <laughs> dates, everything. Low, like low 20s. That. Twice I've lost my birthday. Once it was in my favor and once it was not. I was a year older than I thought. <laughs> this year I forgot it and turns out I'm a year younger, which <laughs> it has. It happens. But, yeah, so Jess at that time was talking to Doug Boyce. So, you know, you have this real world constitution of people, just everybody kind of figuring out what's what. But you've got something in the roots of it. You've got a dancer, you've got an ice skater, you've got a roller skater, you've got uh, a skateboarder, you've got a performer. AJ was just a whatever, you know? If surf was, we used to laugh because it was like, oh, if surf is hot this week, next time we see AJ, he'll have racks on the top of his car, you know? Like it just was whatever was going on. He was the man, you know, like, yeah. so <clears throat> you had this thing. And to me, that's the two dimensional wall. So my entry point was Doug Boyce. And that's what I was focused on, you know, like Chris Edwards and Doug Boyce, like Chris was like younger. So his personality at the time was like immature to me at that time. And he was very, very religious and stuff. So I didn't bond with him on that level and we didn't really hang out at that time because he was mm -hmm. just like this sort of demigod on 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 Bert. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a different thing. Like Chris has always been in a world all his own over here. So when I talk about mm -hmm. Bert service or the past or whatever, just consider that hovering over in a corner somewhere very important is Chris. He's he's there. He's always there. Yeah. He's always been there. He just was it was like Elvis, you know, Elvis wasn't hanging out with the band. You yeah, know? he was hard to he connect always, with. <laughs> he was always over there. What an example. So, uh, Jess told Doug, because Jess and Doug knew each other, because, you know, BMX, skateboarding, they, they bonded. And Doug's an artist and a musician. So, you know, you're talking about like-minded people. So Jess was talking to Doug one day and said, yeah, I met this girl and she's riding BMX you know, and she's already like, doing airs on a mini and stuff. You, you should give her a pair of skates. And Doug was like, yeah, man, to send, her, send her my way. So he lived in Long Beach at the time. And I was still living above the liquor store at Paul's place. Or I may have moved in with Jess and Hans at the time. I don't know. Shit's crazy. But um, I love this. <laughs> I when I when I got out there obviously I had no job or anything and since my girlfriend uh, brother whatever on the sunset strip I was like I have an east coast work mentality I was like I gotta get to work I need to like make money 
So I just went into the first bar I went to and was like, can I get a job? And they hired me. It was Gazaris, which is like where the doors played and shit. <laughs> I had no idea. Like I like walked straight into this like world famous bar and was like, but at that time, rock music was just dying, you know, like hard rock and stuff. Yeah. So I was in Huntington Beach driving all the way to L.A. No idea how ridiculous this was at the time. I'm driving all the way to L.A. to a job where I'm going to work three hours and serve two people banging their heads so hard to like heavy metal. They can't even hear me. So I'm buying a six pack on the way and then selling that six pack and splitting it with the bartender. <laughs> it was the only way we could make any money. So I would make $10, he would make $10 and gas was probably costing me 20 back and forth. So <laughs> wasn't the brightest decision ever. But uh, so that was happening. And I, I got another job in Orange County. I'm like wait, cocktail waitressing, whatever. And uh, Jess gets me hooked up with Doug. And of course, I'm like, fuck, yeah, you know, like, I'm working as a cocktail waitress, I would love to go and get a pair of skates and like, try these on and like, I don't even know what was in my mind. I don't think anything was, you know, like, uh, I didn't even know what the hell. It was just, I was just going with the flow of whatever. Here I am in California and nobody's calling me weird anymore. So I went, I drove, I remember driving to Long Beach and meeting Doug out in a parking lot. I guess it was his apartment complex. I don't know, but it was just a parking lot. And he gave me these skates that I would just, I would give my right nut if I had one. I would give it to have these skates back, but I gave them to, uh, did you ever hear of Dan and Ruth's sign-in bowl? It was like, no. a, if you type that into Google, it was like a, another famous skateboard spot. We used to go there and ride and uh, they had these kids everywhere. Their house was just nuts and they had these kids running around everywhere. And there was this little girl that was a total thrasher and I gave her my skates and uh, I would, I mean, I'm happy I gave her my skates, but man, I would do anything to have those. They were hand-painted hand by Doug, and they were the early Zetras, and they had a nail that stuck through the toe. And so every time I would skate, what? my toes would bleed, you know, because Doug How are there nails like, in there? They were like being fashioned. They weren't being made like they were today. <laughs> that was the reason Doug quit. He like really, I don't know if he broke his ankle, but he hurt himself really badly, and he was... He was always trying really hard to get skates made for the type of thing that he was doing because he wasn't just dancing on them or, you know, he was skating on them like they were, he, he'd jump on things and. Yeah, some DIY being, skates. Yeah. So anyway, I vividly remember being in that parking lot and putting those skates on for the first time and just, that was it. I fell in love. Like I did not want to take those skates off. I was just like, this is it. I love this feeling because. You know, if you've ever roller skated and you get that bum, 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 it's another reason why I would never, ever, ever ride flat. <laughs> My saying flat, anti-rocker, flat. I would never ride, I never wanted to put on little wheels. I never wanted to do anything that took away that feeling of the smoothness of just being able to just ride, right. you know? Mm. I had a problem with that. So I fell in love with it immediately and that was it. From then on, Jess was on his bike and I was on my blades and we would go every single day to the skate park. You know, that was our lives. That was, that was it. Every single day to the skate park and, and just having a blast. <clears throat> so 
<laughs> I like started like four different stories all at the same time. So I'll just stay with the one. Cool. Um, we're going to the skate park every single day and I'm just loving life. I'm still cocktail waitressing. And uh, then, you know, and Doug was my entry point. I, I identified with Doug. Had anyone else given me the skates? I'm not sure it would have happened that way. But I identified with Doug, you know, he was an artist and musician and we were of like mind and I was looking for a family, you know, after a lifetime of being told I didn't fit in, you know, obviously I fit in with my mom and my sister because they're just as weird as I am. But like, you know, being told I don't fit in and having other family members that are either, you know, from, from the South, they're like either highly religious or, or misogynistic or racist, you know, whatever. It's like, I just yeah. never, I was like, I'm going to find, I'll make my own damn family, you know, like. And so I think I was always trying to make my own family somewhere, you know, a group of people where I fit in and could share life. And, and that I can relate to that for sure. Right? Yeah. That's what we're all looking for. Mm -hmm. we're, all, we're all looking for a tribe called Quest. No, just <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Quest. a tribe, you know. <laughs> you know I, maybe I was looking harder than anyone else because by that time I floated through so many different scenes and like been in and out. But, uh, so if anyone else had given me the skates, it may have been different, but, but I fell in love. And so I was skating every day. And then Jess or someone said to me, hey, uh, Rollerblade wants you to come audition for them. And I was like, yeah. How long did that big, take? The, the big show. Yeah, like I was like, what do you mean? And uh, you know, so they had the dance team. There wasn't a stunt team at that time, but they would they would kind of try to get Chris to do stuff, but he really wouldn't. He, you know, of course he didn't want to do that, you know. But they really wanted to focus. That's where all their energy was. They wanted to focus on this dance team. This was the marketing branding team they put together to sell skates. So I was a little bit ignorant about that. I didn't know anything about that side of it. I met Doug. Doug gave me skates. I'm going to the ramps. Boom. I see Chris skating. I don't know anything about any of this other shit that's going on. So I'm like, yeah, I'll audition. Why not? You know? So I get there and they used to have this, uh, like an industrial office space, you know, those kind of in the row warehouse type things that they mm -hmm. have everywhere. Parks, industrial parks, warehouse parks. I don't know the name of them. I have one too, but I don't know what they are. <laughs> industrial <laughs> park sounds right. Business yeah, okay. park, business park, corporate. They had this like half pipe beautiful half pipe you know like masonite so smooth not a ding in it you know like no holes no nails just nah, perfect so i'm yeah. drooling i'm like yeah uh, i'm gonna skate that yeah so i'm skating you know just having a good old time and rollerblade had actually hired a choreographer from la named andrea she reminds me of the woman that you see on that has the kids that she teaches to dance Dance Moms or something like that. Okay. <laughs> she, I don't know. I don't know what uh, that is. She reminded me of this this woman that like is just a dance, you know, like hit it, do this, you know, bah. and right. so she was, but she was in charge of this team, you know, like she put it all together. So I'm auditioning for her. And uh, so I auditioned and then right afterwards she came to me and she was like, okay, so we want to hire you. And I'm thinking, hey, fuck yeah, I get to quit my job cocktail waitressing. I'm going to get paid to skate. Hell yeah. And uh, she's like, but um, can you do lips? And I'm like, yeah. You know, like. What is that? 
well, like, I don't know if you've ever seen like a ski show where they lift the girls. Oh, oh okay, yeah, yeah. Whatever, or like cheerleading where you do lifts. Yeah, yeah. Ice skating, they do that too, yeah. Ice skating. So I'm like, yeah. But you see, at that point in my life, I was done. You know, like I had seen behind the curtain. It was like I'd had a fingernail completely ripped out from the core. You know, the show must go on, you know, perform. And I had taken a lot of drugs and I was a deadhead and I had no ego and I did not give a shit about performing. I hated it. Mm -hmm. I hated the mentality behind it, you know, like I'm feeding off of your, your adoration. I did not like it. You know, like for me, skating was something I did on my own for me. I achieved my own goals. There was no tool. There was nobody else. It was just, I'm not doing it for claps. So I always used to have a really big problem with uh, certain skaters that would get on the ramps and do like this. <laughs> I'd be like, <laughs> I really couldn't stand it, you know, like any yeah. kind of, and you know, I shouldn't have gotten so frustrated about it because, you know, they were younger and, and in a different place. But like, for me, I was in a place where I was like adamant about, I want to be around like-minded people. I don't want to be around egos. I don't want to be around drama. I don't want to be around materialism. I don't want to be around that. And I, I felt like you were a deadhead. I, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, I had found something pure and the friends I was creating were family to me and it was pure. And actually when I got home from trying on those skates, I forgot that part. Like Paul was saying to me, he was like, Angie, what are you doing? You know, like stick with skateboarding, skip, stick with BMX. He's like, you know, like he knew, you know, like roller fag stuff was like just <laughs> in my headline. And I was like, I don't give a shit. Oh, was that I, was that like a thing already? Like right when it came out? Yeah, I didn't out? think it was that early either. Oh, yeah, that was a thing. I mean, how could Off it the not bat. be? You've got skateboarders on the boardwalk in Venice, sure. pros, and then you've right. got like fluorescent day glow spandex, hmm. like AJ going by and going, <laughs> what? Yo, 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 yo. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. not, those two things were different worlds, you know? Right, those doesn't, completely yeah. Completely different worlds. So, so wow from from the beginning it was it was roller fags huh? the beginning was the problem for us it was always oh. the problem for us because mm -hmm. marketing and capitalism in america did not want us we were an accident we were not a planned thing and i was actually reading through some old magazines yesterday because i was like so in the moment with everything that I needed to like, I'm going to start reading my own damn magazines and stuff because it's like I was on NZT limitless and just filtering everything through me, but not experiencing it. So like, I don't, I think I watched dare to air and then I don't think I, I'm not sure I ever watched another video. I never read my magazine because when you're editing it and rewriting everyone's stories, because the grammar is the same grammar that you would have if you were like an 18 year old writing a skate story. <laughs> So like I would feel I, it was it's harder to write someone else's story than it is your own. So it, I had to walk a fine line between keeping their story theirs, but making it so that people could read it and like understand and, and enjoy it, you know. So when you're doing that all the time, the last thing I want to do when the magazine would come off the press was read the damn thing. I've been reading it mm -hmm. for like days and days, you know. So I want to now go back and read everything. Because I'll read stuff and I'll be like, oh, this is interesting. I'm like, oh, I wrote that. 
That's funny. I, I have an issue of Daily Bread one here, and I actually was reading it the other day, too. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have so many funny stories to tell about that. So I'm going to try to fast forward the other portion of this. So I auditioned. You don't have to. I can do lifts, you know, and I'm like, here comes my battle, the battle that would never end, it seemed, because I had left that world goodbye. Yeah, I know how to do it. I don't want to do it. And now you're telling me I have to choose between cocktail waitressing or getting paid to vert skate. And I might have to do some dancing. You know, like it, it was like a really, really hard thing for me because I did not want to be involved. So I sucked it up. <laughs> Neighbors are like, she's standing there talking to a microphone. <laughs> I've got you guys draped over my grandfather's mic. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, this is the world today. You know, we're in a coronavirus. Yes. Zoom, Zoom is the standard now. So I'm standing here holding a cock, talking. Yeah. To my... <laughs> you got a cock in your hand. You're talking, to, <laughs> you're talking to yourself. Your neighbor's like, what's happening? Yeah. So I was like, OK, I got to like uh, do this dance thing a little bit because they really wrote me in. They said it's just going to be this one time they're going to do ASR. And so, you know, I got to skate with Pat and Jess. Oh no, Jess, Jess wasn't skating yet. Uh, Pat and um, Chris Edwards, Jimmy Tremble, Tim Gantz, you know, John Tyson, those guys, they, they, there was a, a pot brewing of people that would become our industry. Um, so I got to skate with all them and, and do the thing. And I got, you know, kind of like awakened into this action sports world that I didn't really know existed that way you know so that was really eye-opening for me i was just learning so much about everything but then they wanted me to go and do it's like okay well we're gonna go we're gonna send you with the dance team to you know texas or to this or to that and i went along with it for a little bit but it didn't last long until i was just like being a complete asshole you know mm. like no, I'm not going to practice. I would show up. I wouldn't even know what the fuck to do. They'd be dancing around me. I'd just stand there. <laughs> <laughs> you were the opposite of everyone else on the team. I'm sorry, Deanna, Eric Wiley, Chris Mitchell, any of you guys that are like listening to this, I'm very sorry. I know I was very hard to like deal with, um, especially you, Jill. Sorry. But you know, that just, it wasn't me. It wasn't where I wanted to be. It wasn't what I wanted to do. So, and I definitely did not want to be a part of anything that had to do with just marketing and you know that just the whole thing just wasn't me didn't want to be there so i was getting a lot of shit at that time you know getting called things like a dyke and a leather g-string um at one yeah, point like you're gonna wake up someday and realize you're a girl or you know like why don't you wear something a little more sexy you know you look ridiculous in these baggy clothes and so I went through a lot of bullshit like that and everything. Mm. And, I, and I was like, you know what? Fuck you, too tall. I'm talking to you, too tall. Um, <laughs> you know, no. One of these days, you're going to realize that this is exactly who I am and there's more people like me. And, like, I'm just going to keep doing what I, I love to do. So, you know, there was just a big battle going on back then that nobody's aware of that thinks the two-dimensional. So mm. my struggle was... Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Like, the, huh? the, about the battle? Like oh, I'll elaborate. I'll elaborate yeah. that shit. <laughs> that's everything. It's everything. Yeah. It's it. That's the the that's the seed that became everything. Basically, me being an asshole and angst, kind of like <laughs> that sounds like a lot of credit. 
<laughs> it does, it's not like that. I'm saying that the path I walked on, that was the beginning of it. So, mm -hmm. uh, very early on, like right after I had done the audition and stuff, I stole a pair of skates from Rollerblade. Yeah, I stole them. I've said this numerous times, but nobody's come after me yet, so I'm all right, I think. They kept all those skates for the demo vans and stuff in the warehouse. And so, you know, here was Jess, who was just, I don't know why no one thought to give him a freaking pair of skates, you know, like, but they just, maybe he was being polite, I don't know, but like, I stole a pair of skates for Jess. So then when we would go to the skate park, Jess started getting on skates. So then we were both rollerblading. And uh, so, you know, we started to like, another neighbor, we started to form our own little thing. And like I said, Chris was over here and in Orange County was me, Jess and Pat. So we started like really bonding together as like a core thing, you know? And uh, we called ourselves Burt Service. And, you know, Pat had come from an action sports background, Jess had come from an action sports background. And actually, we were living at the time in Laguna Beach with uh, Doug, who had already stopped skating, but was still there surfing, being Doug. Not a bad place to live. Uh, huh? Not a bad place to live. Oh, no, no. We had an amazing place. It was like me, Jess, Doug Boyce, and Hans Ray, who's a professional mountain biker, and uh, just this big house up on a like cliff overlooking the It was amazing, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So, um you know, that was it. We were skating every day and we started to form our own little thing. And I think because, because I had already gone through, I was a little bit older than some of the skaters. And like, uh, I had already gone through so many things, you know, being on the road, being in the carnival, being in the circus, being in the ski suit, you know, like I had seen marketing, I had seen the whole thing. Jess had seen it as well you know, from being a pro and so forth, but not from the dirty side of it, like I had seen, you know, he didn't have to put on spandex and ever do this and, you know, like uh, perform like a monkey. So for me, it was like, I had already experienced those things and wanted nothing to do with them. So I was more anarchic about everything. I was more, fuck you, we're gonna, this is skating. Nobody's mm -hmm. gonna touch that. This is what we are and no one's going to fuck with it. Like, I already had that mentality, you know, like, uh, um, I love that. That was it. So, you know, back up a little bit to Rollerblade is sending me out with the dance team. What I'm finding is they're sending us to some places that had nothing to do with it, but they'd send us to skate parks, you know, which was humiliating for me, but I had a plan because every time we would do a show, these, skaters there'd be skaters there and i'd be like hey just hang on to your horses you know back in california we've got this shit going on there's more of us you know we're gonna be doing this shit just keep it up you know whatever so i was always out there seeing things that no one else that was skating was seeing because rollerblade wanted nothing to do with promoting that aspect or sending anybody out or making products or anything but i was seeing it and then came Australia. We lost your video real quick, Angie. You know, I turned all this shit off. Oh, there you there go. Sorry about that. Um, I went to Australia, had a scene that was developing just like us, but they did not have the marketing. 
you know, the skates landed there, but without a company like Rollerblade pushing a specific image, those guys were free to just let it organically grow. They weren't being suppressed. So uh, Rollerblade had this thing where they would, even in areas like that where like skating was like growing organically and it wasn't growing with people dancing. Like nobody was organically doing that, you know, like not really. It was growing with either people speed skating or uh, mostly speed skating or just using it for transportation. And so Rollerblade would get a call from someone, say these guys in Australia, and they would ask for Team Rollerblade and they would get sent the dance team. Well, the dance team didn't even know how to get on a ramp. So Rollerblade started insisting that, because we started gaining a lot of traction, Rollerblade started insisting that the dance team learn how to aggressive skate. So those guys were having to train, you know, to like learn how to do it, which of course just pissed me off more because I was like, none of these guys are coming home and then heading out to Moreno Valley to skate. So this just going to training for a role, you know, like acting. And I love those guys to death, but that was not, that was, that was hurting what we were doing you know like I, I i don't have any angst toward them or about them i had angst toward the industry and what it was doing you know i did not approve of like what was happening so i guess at one point they had sent the dance team out and i think so a lot of skaters in australia like and, and new zealand like brooke i think met chris mitchell for the first time in the the faux role so I have a, a love-hate relationship with Mitchell because, you know, to me, he was a dancer and always stayed a dancer. But that's wrong of me because, of course, he can transition and become whatever he wants. I just know that once, I, I, don't, I don't know, I'm just going to leave that alone. You know, but that was my history with it and so forth. So that two-dimensionality we were talking about where your beginnings come into what you see first. So if Rollerblade is sending the dance team out, to a lot of people in our industry, their roots started with something that wasn't real. And it was actually back home, a problem, you know, that was going on. We were sitting there, we were back in Cali, going to the skate parks. And these guys were going out and skaters in other places were identifying that as their roots and Team Rollerblade, while the real skaters were back home, not getting sent anywhere. Mm. So Rollerblading had like a really big issue with, um, sending us out because the skating was getting really big people were getting hurt there were lawsuits stuff like that they wanted to minimize they wanted to show how easy it was how safe it was they made these skate safe programs they developed the international inline skating association they were doing everything you know to make sure that sales maintained and whatever and we were like this this thorn that was just scaring the shit out of people like my kid's not going to do that. You know, like we, we were a detriment to sales in their eyes. So they were just, you know, like hiding us over here. Didn't want us to be marketed, but there was no stopping a tidal wave. I mean, imagine someone trying to like stop that. It was not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I guess the next year, the guys from Australia called and they insisted, they were like, no, you send us top male and female I don't know, they must have known there was a female, which is kind of weird, uh, vert skaters. There was no street at the time. 
So it was just me and Chris. Me and Chris got sent to Australia. And that's when I met Scott Bentley, Tom Fry, all those guys, you know, like it was like when I saw what they were doing, I came home to Jess and Pat and was like, guys, shit is so real in Australia. Like they're a mirror image of us minus the suppression, you know, like shit is happening over there. Like they've got amazing, like they had a uh, team Manly, team Apache. They, they like, they were just allowing them, themselves to of course they had some of the like other shit going on because the only people doing media at that time were already established media outlets they didn't know any better so it was always like oh here's this and here's this and here's this and it was all mixed together and so i'm, I'm not sure how long after that it was but we did this tour we called the sketchy bastard tour where by that time rollerblade had kind of given in but they assigned a speed skater to be our team manager and sent us on this tour in Australia. And it was just ridiculous. I mean, we were going to buildings to do a vert demo where we couldn't stand up straight on the top of the ramp. <laughs> like the roof is too low. <laughs> Thank Chris so can't do his 10 foot airs. Yeah, it was hilarious. But you know, we were meeting all these guys. And so, you know, Jess had already at that point planted the seed in my head about, you know, coming from the action sports industry like he did. Um, he knew the steps that needed to be followed. So he was like, we need a magazine. You know, we need something to, to re represent us because all these other magazines just mush everything together. And I've told that other story so many times, you know, like we're over in Australia and, and many times they would try to get us to pose like speed skaters and stuff. I'll just suffice to say I've said enough about that. The bottom line is there was a there was a battle for our identity. And I look like an asshole, but it was important to me. It was like we we're a tribe and we need to wear our tribal outfit because, you know, it's like I can go on a job interview and bring a homeless dude with me, but I'm probably not gonna get the job. I don't have any problem with that homeless dude. He's my friend. But more than likely i'm not representing myself properly if i come to you know I have, my husband gives me shit because i have the worst examples <laughs> <laughs> like i help you to not understand things is what i do but um to me it was just really important it's like we needed to to identify with ourselves because to me that was family we all had a, a similar mentality about it we were doing it for a reason it meant something to us it was a passion you know, um, to me, it was always an art, still is, and it, it's just something that uh, we needed to do, you know, we needed to do it. Um, so that's when you decide, you, 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 you knew we had to brand ourselves, you know, we had to like make, makes you had to make something of this, define it. So that's. We have to define ourselves, who the fuck yeah. we are. No, that's not us. This is us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like we're doing demos at skate, at, at um, races and, and this and others. Like we come from roots already. We had already come from action sports and we were trying to be ripped away from our own culture. It's like, no, we would never go there. We would never do that. We would never dress like this. We would never listen to that music. We would never hang out here. We're not, you're not getting it. Like we're not, we didn't come here to perform a role. This is our life. This is who we are. And it means something to us to stay true to our own character and what we like and what we don't like. This is why we do it. And it's like, there's a reason why we put on rollerblades and skate 
when the cool thing to do would be to skateboard or to do something else. We're not afraid of being called roller fags. We're not afraid of any of that. We're going to do it anyway. So it's like, if we're willing to do that, to roll around in these things, and we're not looking for applause or anything, like, really, do you, you think we're going to be okay with pretending to be something we're not if we're already okay with being something that nobody else wants us to be? Like, the, the mentalities just did not gel. Mm. And so, <clears throat> for me, I, at that point, I was on... A, I was on a mission, you know, like I was, it was, uh, it became a, I had already gotten fired several times from Rollerblade by that point, but, uh, several I, times. Yeah. I, I would get a lot of, uh, press. This is this guy, Neil Feynman that, uh, did a, um, another magazine. And, uh, again, it was one of those magazines that combined everything together and so forth, but he liked me and I liked him and, and he gave me a voice. So he allowed me to like, continued to speak out and I just kept getting hired back. I mean, number one, I was the only female vert skater in the world. <laughs> it's not like they could replace me. And number two, <laughs> I had a big fucking mouth and uh, I was going to speak up about this stuff. And number three, there was a, a tidal wave coming, you know? And so, you know, like in Australia, they had switched from Italian made plastics because Rosa started making their own skate to Korean made plastics that were flimsy and like like i said that's one of the reasons that doug quit is because the products weren't being manufactured for what we were doing you know they weren't they were being made for recreational and they weren't being made to the standards we needed them made to protect us and our feet and to be able mm -hmm. to do what we're doing so that had already they'd already lost doug over that you know he was just fuck it i'm not doing this and uh, but I wasn't going to like, I was at a shop and I think it was in Melbourne and I was at a shop and this mom was asking me, you know, like what sh her kids should get and the kids like there and everything. And I'm like, well, I had literally just taken a fall at Bondi ramp and tweaked my ankle really hard because I was used to being able to like, maybe, you know, maybe I missed the transition a little bit and land on the flat and, uh, and my skates would hold me when I was on the, the Italian made plastics, you know, like I could drop from a 10 foot air and land in the bottom and not whatever. But this time I didn't know any better. I was on Korean plastics. And when I landed in the bottom, my ankle just gave. Oh. And so I tweaked it really hard. I was out for weeks with that. So I was like, the first thing I said to this kid and to his mom, I was like, well, first thing, look at it and see if it's made in Italy or made in Korea. If it's made in Korea, go buy it somewhere else where it's made in Italy. Cause I'm not going to let this kid go out and tweak his ankle, you know, like, yeah. no. Well, I got flown all the way to Minneapolis to be reprimanded for that and fired, you know, like, because I lost a sale for that shop because they called back or whatever. And it's like, I told him, I'm like, look, I don't give a fuck about your sales. Oh, shit. I don't give a fuck about this job. I give a fuck about that kid. And I give a fuck about him skating and enjoying what I enjoy with it and, you know, for the rest of his life. So that's right. You know, I, love I was that. Not a liked person on any <laughs> of those fronts. So that happened several times. Um, and, the, you know, of course, the last time everyone knows with Dare to Air, because we had by that time had contracts written up and the contract we were presented with, uh, I sat down with all the guys and I'm like, look, 
we got to take this out of the contract, this, 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 and this. I'm like, there needs to be like, if we work overtime from where we're being sent, then there needs to be overtime pay. And they were treating it like it was an after school hobby. And I'm like, no, this is our job. You know, like if we're going to work for them, we are working for them because we're going to do this with or without this job. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to like, you know, we're not doing it for the job, we're going to keep doing it. We can go get another job. <laughs> so, but if we're going to be skating, then here's the contract. Uh, you take us seriously as athletes. If we want to, you know, at that time they wanted to like sell us off, you know, like, Oh, team rollerblade sponsored by Coke. And it's like, no, you don't understand the way action sports works. We get to sponsor, we get to choose our sponsors. You know, if I'm going to wear a sticker on my helmet, it's going to be of my choosing. I'm not branded. You know, like I'm going to choose who I identify with and I'm going to represent what I believe in. So we made it so that we could get our own sponsors. We made it so that, you know, um, we couldn't just be kept around the clock, you know, like doing whatever. And we made it so that if we requested to do something on our own, because me, Pat and Jess at that time had formed Vert Service. Um, There was no street. So Vert Service, that's all we did. So that we could do our own demos, you know, and go out and actually do stuff that where we felt comfortable, you know, that we identified with. So we made this contract where like, if we made a request to do something and we didn't get a response for a certain period of time, then it was an automatic yes, you know, because we can't just wait forever. We need to like make commitments or answer back to So we had gotten that in the contract. And uh, so we have these proper professional contracts by this time. And when it came to when um, Sean Tomlin and and Morgan were putting together Dare to Air, they booked that tour in Japan. For us, this was gonna be the very first time we were getting sent out because it wasn't role played. (laughs) It was those guys and they believed in us and they were part of this and we were all family and by golly, they were gonna make a video and they were gonna like send us out. And I was already like had the seat in my mind, I'm starting on a magazine so we're starting to form our own. So, so Sean Tomlin and and more and who? Morgan 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 Young. Why did I say Morgan Stone? Yeah. I did say Morgan Stone, didn't I? Mm, no, I don't, I don't think, think so. I'll I think talk- you were talking about Evan Stone, but I don't think you said that. Morgan, shit. But yeah, Sean Tomlin and them went on to do VG video, video group, group yeah. and all that. Yeah. 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 So and, and Dare Dare was like the first video. Ever, right? Remember that warehouse I told you about where I went to audition? Yeah. Morgan and Sean worked there. Okay. So they worked in the office. And uh, Rollerblade had been asked to send skaters over for the 1992 Olympics, the Winter Olympics in Albertville, France. What? And uh, that was my first European trip ever. So uh, initially, they were going to just send the guys and Morgan and Sean. And I'm like, dude, like I'm a fucking pro skater and you're sending the guys that work in the office. But they, they didn't want to sit. We were started, they were starting to do like little demos, like maybe one or two demos and they were putting the skaters in the van. And again, it was that thing like, well, what's it going to look like if you guys roll up and five guys pull out and one girl? Mm. Oh, I don't know. It's going to look like I was gang raped in the back of the van. What, <laughs> what, a, what a crazy thing to, to think of. Yeah. So they didn't want to send me. <clears throat> So I fought and fought and I got to go. So, um, and it's really funny too, because, and then by that time there was a New York team rollerblade. So it was Shira McComb, me, Nick Hartman, Eddie Campos, Jess, Pat, John Tyson, Jimmy Trimble, Matt, Matt, uh, Tim Gans. I can't remember who else. It was a 
Tim Gans, I heard a lot about back in the day. And like, he, he was Gans? like, yeah. Tim Gans is like the, uh... oh, who's that? Ah, it's a TV movie that's super famous. Never mind. Moving on. He, he was an anomaly. Tim Gans okay. is awesome. He's, he's just awesome. He's like, uh, I want to say Bear Gills or something, but that's not the right. Not, not the right guy. Movie with the dude. He's like a hippie. And ah, that's not Tim Gans either. Whatever. Moving on. All right, moving was, on. I liked him. But that trip was really, really awesome. And it was really funny because they put us, they had built this thing. It looked like a giant S or something, but it went up like, I could be exaggerating. I think it was like 20 feet or something. Mm. And it was rounded on the bottom. And, ah, sorry. There you go, you're back. The ending, the, the getting rid of the notifications thing just does not work. So there was this thing and the idea that the guy had, famous dude uh, that put the things together, it was like a big acid trip. The whole thing is just amazing. But uh, he, his idea was he had these two guys that were gonna walk down the side. It would go flat like this and it had like a rounded bottom. It would go flat and these two guys would walk up on the end of it when it was flat and then they would start walking and as they would walk, it would, and, and the skater would like position themselves here. And then as it rose, the skater would ride down. But it was just a thin piece of plywood and you were being hoisted like 20 feet up in the air, holding onto the back of this thing. And then you were just gonna hope that it was flat by the that time- That sounds got sketchy as fuck. <laughs> well, kamikaze over here. They didn't want to send me at first. Guess who was the first one to do that shit? <laughs> nice. Every one of those dudes was like, Hell no, I'm, I'm all like, I'll do it. Damn, so, you were first off, damn. Oh yeah, I was literally, I was so kamikaze back then. <laughs> like now, I, it's a miracle to me that I'm still alive. Like, <laughs> it's a miracle. But um, anyway, that was an amazing trip. But that was like the only thing we'd all done together. That's and like the beginning of like the, when blading started to like have, a, have an identity, right? Blading had an identity right away. Skateboarders and everyone saw what that identity was. We were on a path from the very get-go to break away from that and form our own identity. We were nowhere even close yet. Like, uh, That's we cool, were straight out, pioneers. We were out there in droves. I mean, I had seen it when I was happened being sent around with the dance team. I saw it when I went to Australia. Jess and Pat saw it once they actually went to Australia on the Sketchy Bastard tour. And um, so we knew we were there in the numbers. I was going to correct Gab Drum because he was saying in one of the first issues that I like was like, a, it was like a call out skaters. No, what it was, was, uh, I mean, there was that too. That, that's in there. I think he converged the two together. But basically what it was, was for, for the first issue, um, I'll back up just one quick second, just to end that thing with Dare to Air. So. We had requested to Rollerblade to go do Morgan and Sean's Dare to Air tour. Uh, we didn't get a response back. So we told Morgan and Sean, yes. And I mean, of course, we were going to do this no matter what. But then Rollerblade got wind of it. They were paying attention all of a sudden. And they were like, oh, no, we're going to send the dance team. 
and we were like, you know, we have something else booked. That's what they would say. There's a conflict because we're already sending the dance team and we would be like all. So I said to Pat and Jess, you know, like, and I've told this story a million times and they probably hate it when I tell it, but uh, they were like, Angie, keep your mouth shut. You know, like you're going to get us fired. To me, I didn't give a shit if I got fired. I only had one mission and one mission only, and that was to build this industry. You know, like, I didn't care. If anything got in the way of that, then it just had to go anyway. So we got there to Minnesota, and we were sitting around with Deb Autry at the time, who was, like, in charge. She had been put in as in charge of, I don't remember what her title was. But uh, she was like, no, you know, you get, if you guys go, you're fired. And I was like, but it's in our contract. And she's like, no, it's not. And she goes and gets the contract. And she's like, you know, grounds to fire you right here. You know, like if there's a I'm like, you're looking at the wrong contract, Deb. I'm like, that's, show me a signature because that's not the one we signed. So she had gotten the contract that they had presented to us and not the contract that we had negotiated. So when they brought back the actual real contract, she, I mean, I've told this story so many times. She just pounded her fists on the desk. She's like, you are not in marketing. And I was just like, you know, and that was it. We were fired. So we were then, we went from being team first service to team. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, kind of, but, um, like I said, it did, it didn't matter to me, you know, like I had, I never had anything to lose because I never wanted anything, you know, you were so, focused. You, you had your eye on the prize. You had a, you had a goal. Yeah. I could give a shit about fame. I could give a shit about attention. I could give a shit about money. I'd been through all of that, you know, and it was like, no, I don't, I don't care about anything except being around like-minded people, doing something pure, uh, feeling good about it, being an artistic expression and just like having this family of people. Like I was, you know, shit talking and drama, backstabbing egos. Just no, you know, like, Turns out, funny story, <laughs> I got taken out by that, but whatever. I still stayed true to myself the whole time, so I'm happy with however. But uh, So we went ahead and went on the Dare to Air tour, and it was amazing. And that was, by the time the Dare to Air tour came up, Dare to Air had been, had been or was being released. I actually managed somehow miraculously to have the first issue of daily bread with me on that dare or air tour okay so so, so do, do you mind if we back up just a second like yeah. you, how, how did you get to creating the first issue of daily bread like how did you conceptualize that come to the name like what was the origin story of that this shit always happens to me i was just taking a shower and the name popped in my head did not think about it one little tiny bit just that's it just came head. to you and it was like daily bread all right now yeah, i'm gonna call it daily bread <laughs> <laughs> nice and easy no thought at all was put into the name had no <laughs> idea like uh just had no idea so i was still living in laguna in that house at that time we were in australia and you know it was supposed to be me pat and jess and we were going to make this magazine together uh and I think we had even called it Vox because it was Pat's idea to call it Vox. And uh, it was supposed to be us, me, Pat, just four skaters, by skaters. But like I said, Mitchell had kind of come into the scene and started skating. It's like, it's maybe it was because he was t told he had to learn it to keep doing, you know, whatever, but he liked it. And so he kept doing it. And so, 
you know, I, I can't speak for him and I, I have been way judgmental on him. I should knock it off. But at that time I was just like, I didn't appreciate the duality of it. So it was over here to me. So um, Neil Feynman, the guy that had a magazine that, you know, used to always give me a voice or whatever. Uh, Jess and I stayed longer in Australia and stayed with Tom Fry where we would watch yellow t-shirt every day to inspire us and then we would go skate the vert ramps. And you guys were shooting, and, and Jess was shooting? Was Jess shooting? Huh? Was Jess shooting photos when he, when you guys were down there? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, he probably was. Jess was always taking photos somewhere. Okay. So, um, but no, I mean, there was no magazine yet or anything, but, uh, we were skating the ramps every day with Tom and in the morning we'd wake up and uh, we would watch this, this video and we just called him yellow t-shirt because we didn't know who this dude was, but he was our inspiration. He was the inspiration for me getting my airs lofty. Finally, it was like the first time I actually felt loft, you know, like that mm -hmm. anti-gravity. Wow. Shout out yellow t-shirt. <laughs> but uh, sorry, my hand, I'm trying to raise the volume. It got really low all of a sudden. That's why I keep going. What? Um, so we would watch Yellow T-shirt. Turns out it was Renee Holgreen. So we would watch Yellow T-shirt, <laughs> and nice. he would inspire us, and we would go skate. And we were like, we had this thing in the works. We were, I was gonna come home, you know, and we're gonna start this magazine. And we were so inspired and motivated. But I think it may have been while I was either while I was still in Australia or when I got home. We didn't have cell phones. Had to have been when I got home. <laughs> I don't think he like knew how to reach me internationally at Tom Fry's house. So it must've been when I got home, Neil Feynman contacted me and asked me if I wanted to be a part of their magazine. And I was like, huh? Like what magazine? And I just played dumb. And he was like me and Chris Mitchell and Pat Parnell. Um, and I'd like for you to be involved. And I'm like, that's, you know, I didn't say a word to him. I was just like, I don't know if I said, I, I don't know what I said to him, but I didn't, I didn't say anything because I was just dumbfounded. And I called Pat and I was like, Pat, what is going on? Like, you're, you're working with these guys? Like, Neil's already doing a magazine that is the reason I'm doing this magazine because we want to have one for our industry and by our industry that isn't slathered all over the place with like, racing and hockey and dancing and people stretching and wearing lycra on their way to work we're trying to buy skaters for skaters like so yeah. why are what are you doing and chris mitchell he literally just started skating and and you know he's part of it's just you know chris came from a whole different mentality you know like than i did it was more of a hookers and i think they were like filming a porn one time at his house i mean it was just like a completely different mentality you know very ritzy bougie kind of mentality to me so i was like what are you doing but pat always had that side of himself you know and pat wanted to succeed pat wanted to be an art director pat was an artist and so there was a division that happened because i was like well pat you know like you go you go ahead and do what you're gonna do but i'm still gonna do what what i'm gonna do i'm i'm still gonna do this you know like <clears throat> so jess was like the uh the child and the divorce, you know, like, but initially he went to the meetings with Fox and he stuck with that. And so I was just all by myself. I was like completely on my own. I remember Jess and I had a big argument about it because we were boyfriend girlfriend at the time. And I was like, dude, I'm like your fucking girlfriend. You, 
we're our skate team, you know, like, why aren't you supporting me? You know, like, and he was just torn at that time, you know? So eventually of course he did start taking photos, but I was pretty on my own. So I, I went up to Venice beach where my friends from when I used to live on top of the liquor store, a couple of part of that whole English group that I had met through Jess and stuff, um, had a place up in Venice Beach and they, I don't know why I went up there. I think because I thought someone could help me learn to use the computer. And Mitchell, I think actually even like let me use his student ID to buy my computer. So props to him for that because he was nice. a UCLA, UCLA student or something. Mm. So I got this computer, which was a top of the line computer at that time. It was a Quadra 800. That means it had 800 megabytes. Oh man, Ooh, flying. Bomb, dude. I had a computer with 800 megabytes. What is that, like four phone pictures? <laughs> <laughs> you must know what 800 megabytes is. So, yeah. and that was the top of the line computer, man. That was the shit. So I get this computer and maybe that's why because I bought it at the UCLA store and then I set up at my friend's house in Venice Beach in their living room. And then it was just day and night, day and night. You know, like, how the fuck do I do this? I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. And, um, but, you know, like I said, I had done a little stint in college for a hot second. And, you know, I had gotten into computer programming. That's what I wanted to do. So I kind of understood a little bit of the idea of a programming language. That was it. So I started reading and reading and trying. And it's like, you know, I'm going to make this magazine. How do I make the background of this? transparent you know so that uh you can write over the top of a photo and it was just all something i was working out how to do i had no idea how to distribute a magazine how to print a magazine how to take the photos how to like do the editorial how to i had a fucking clue but i just dove straight in and it was like i'm gonna make this happen and i guess the guys like neil Feynman and those guys neil Feynman apologized to me years later and i've repeated this numerous times he called me and actually apologized and i was like for what he's like we tried to put you out of business. He's like, oh. our first meetings were all about how to put you on. And I was Before like, you even started? Yeah. Just because of the idea? Yeah, just immediately. They wanted me gone. They wanted to make sure I never saw the light of day. Wow. And, uh, that was painful, but it was like, damn, <laughs> fail. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, was, I was funny you mentioned all that stuff because I was going to ask what you thought because you've done a lot of shit in your life before Daily Bread. And I was going to ask, None of it had anything to do with like publishing, writing, anything like that. And I'm like, what what made you think that you can pull this off in the first place? Like what would make you be like, yeah, I'm qualified to handle this? I think I've always had this this mental issue where I believe with all my heart that I can do anything I want to do. That's good. <laughs> if I just try hard enough, I can it's my mom's fault, I guess. She never like <laughs> put it in my head that there was any possibility of not being able to pull something off if I tried hard enough. Mm -hmm. So it's always been a matter of like, if you, you know, that's one of the reasons I hated school never wanted to go to college. It's like, if I want to learn astrophysics, there's a fucking library. I'm not going to sit here while this guy drones on and mm -hmm. on and on. Yeah. I'm just going to learn that shit, you know, like read every book and absorb everything I can. It just all felt too slow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's resources out there nowadays with the internet 
I think I've lost my mind because there's so sure. much information that like so I'll much, start too much. Today wanting to learn one thing and by the end of the day, like you guys don't even want to see what's happening with this house. I'm rewiring <laughs> the entire fucking house right now. So, you know, I, yeah, sure. I was on a, a, an electrician's apprentice for a month. Okay. Over the years, I like had to do electrical stuff and would build stuff, but not to not to the extent of like pulling every wire out of every wall and rewiring an entire house. So that's, that's good. That's good. That's, that's good to, to know when you're doing your house. Angie, I am so I'm, I don't mean to take control right now, but I'm huh? very interested in learning how Daily Bread One came to be. I'm oh, sorry. Well, that was we it. Just, we, I we, just, just, I, we just got I sidetracked. Was, I was, that's, that's actually the preface of it. You know, I want to wire the house. I'm going to fucking wire the house. I wanted to <laughs> make that magazine and I was going to do it. So I'm there in, I, I had, I had stayed a little bit active in the acid house scene here. Okay. So I had this friend named Free and, uh, he had his brother, they were all part of the house scene and did some really famous ones like Narnia and stuff in LA. And their family sold pearls, I think. But at night, it was like this nighttime hacker. It's like what you would see on a hacker movie now, you know, like all these people smoking and like making flyers for the acid house scene and doing all this art and drugs and whatever was going on there. But uh, I'm in Venice. I get to a certain point where I'm like, okay, I've gone as far as I can go. I think I know how to put these pages together and stuff, but all right, content, you know? And so Brooke and uh, Arlo came around and the hen house was right down the street with uh, all these girls where they would hang. There was this girl, I think her name was Jess. I just remembered in, in there. She was a photographer. So she was taking photos. We were developing them in the bathroom and, uh, I don't, I don't know how we were developing them in the bathroom. I mean, why not? Oh, because it had to be dark. But it got to a certain point where it was like, okay, what's the next step? I think I've, I've almost, you know, I'm getting something figured out. I'm starting to make pages. What now? And, you know, I can only make like two pages at a time because 800 megabytes. So <laughs> I make the two pages and then I had to put them on a disc and then make the next page and put it on a disc and then I could never see the whole thing together like you know like it was it was hard there was one undo on wow. photoshop you had one command z on photoshop and that was it there was no <laughs> layers there was nothing so i'm making i'm getting to that point and my friend free says look you know we we have a film machine and uh i'm like okay cool you'll let me make film there i'm like all right so next up so then at that point, like I'm at, uh, I can't remember the name of what the shop was called, but Artie Parent and Free, whatever, they gave me a little desk there. And I'm working around the clock because South by Southwest had just started. It was like maybe year two or something. And Artie had gone to South by Southwest and he was a monster of a guy. So intimidating, really scary. And his little brother, little hippie guy free and it was my friend he was like okay you do this but you only have five days Artie's gonna be back we gotta get you out of here before he gets back so like Arlo's driving down photos and we're scanning stuff I had bought a scanner a slide scanner I had bought all the equipment I needed so I'm scanning stuff and I'm 
typing and I'm writing and figuring stuff out. And uh, then we go to run the film and we had no fucking idea how to do it. So it was like the, the dot resolution and stuff, just clueless on it. You'll notice in that spread of Arlo that one page is smooth. Do you have it right in front of you? Yeah, I do. Which, which one? Open, open the spread of Arlo and you'll notice that one page is smooth and proper resolution and the other one has got dots all over it because it's a low resolution. Oh yeah, wow, I never realized that. This is the pictures he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, half of it is like clear and the other half is pixelated. I never noticed yeah. that. <laughs> right. The whole magazine's like that because we had no fucking idea what we're doing. So we're running films trying to do this. Artie comes home early, right in the middle of making these films. And oh my God, he just, I thought he was going to kill me, kill free, whatever. We had run so much film trying to figure out how to do this. And so I thought that was it. That was the end. <laughs> we were toast. <laughs> but he comes in just rails us both and then he's like all right and he starts doing it for us that's why some of the pages are done properly uh. because I came home and like actually ran the film for me <laughs> so then i uh i had gotten some quotes from a printer and so then i took it straight from there to the printer and that, at this point everybody was like angie dare to air tour you know we gotta go we gotta go I wanted to have t-shirts. I wanted to have the magazine. So at the same time, Paul had done that cover art for me. I, my friends that I stayed with in Venice, they were t-shirt makers. They made the Daily Bread t-shirts for me. And I got it to the printer and got it out in time, like literally like grabbing all this shit on the way to the airport to uh, go to Japan. And of course in Japan, we met the skaters that were there you know just like australia it's like everywhere we went there was a little organic thing that had happened just like what we were doing they were doing cones but uh we got them we were like no more cones and we took them out street skating because you know it was just coming about like literally oh call out to scott crawford that magazine of blake doing that i've got that magazine sitting right on my desk that is 1993 my friend early so it was like early 93 this all happened within a span of months you know like arlo and then chris i think jess again was the one lighting the little spark like we can grind on this shit you know and then like mm -hmm. uh and then people started trying it and you'll also notice in that issue it's the first it's called a smith grind and then yeah yeah grind yeah so arlo was happening really fast and uh so it was like i'm gonna pinpoint it to say the first three months in 1993 street skating was born by august of 93 the magazine was out we meet up with tom fry at the airport um on our way to japan and we're grind we had to like have a layover or something. We were like locked in an airport. There was no one there but us. So we were just fucking around. And there's a picture in that issue of, of an issue two of uh Tom grinding, I think it looks like an air conditioner unit. I don't know what it is, but something in the airport and he's grinding it. So by the time we got to Japan, the seed had been planted in Tom and he went apeshit. We were setting up rails. I think it's the only time I actually ever got to sleep. I really slide a rail properly because it's just before Daily Bread really took off. And so my days of learning to skate street along with everybody else, just that shit was not going to happen because I was tied to a desk 
but um well you're saying that was like kind of the birth of street skating when tom did that grind to the air conditioner at the airport and then you're like holy shit we could do this on other things no the birth of it was happening in orange county um because we were all skating together and stuff so it was like you know once jess kind of mentioned the idea of it it took root in everyone's minds and and i don't know it was like it, it just kind of all happened all at once but i would say right there on that it happened all in like a three to four month period boom the birth of street skating mm. and then it was just like I remember we were at, uh, I don't know if it was ASR or something, and somebody's got photos. I think it's probably, Jess has probably got photos, but um, it was just all happening like dynamite, you know, just pop, 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 pop. And it wasn't just us. Like, uh, we took it to Japan with us, and we showed the Japanese skaters what we were just starting to do. And the Makio was born that day, because that's who we met in Japan, was... Makio and Tetsuji and and all the guys there and Makio you know it was like threw down the cones no more cones we were all laughing and and he got up there and did a Makio and then that's the birth of the Makio you know and everything was being created right then on the spot the the soul grind the fish brain uh you know Arlo does a soul Edwards does a front side um Makio does a Makio uh, Tom Fried is a fish brain. It's like boom, 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 and those Damn. are the foundations. Those are the foundations for everything that came in street skating. Everything bloomed off of that, you know. And so you've got Japan, Australia, America, right in that little thing. But by that, t- by the time we were going to Japan, you know, Brooke and uh, Scott Bentley, a lot of the guys had already descended on on. Um, California. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying is like everything happened in such a fast, fast time right then. And, and it was like, it was just boiling and then the pot just boiled over, you know, just from, and, and you have to credit in many ways, you have to credit Morgan and Sean. Had they not put that video together, had they not put that tour together, I wouldn't have got us gotten us fired. <laughs> we wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like, wow. And then you, kind of back up to it. If I hadn't been an asshole and like got rollerblade to open up to like sending us to some places and so, you know it's like the pot just was boiling over and it just happened. But the thing that I realized early on is that yeah, I made a magazine here which started to give us a platform, but I didn't ever want to take that for granted as if I really hated the idea that like Hollywood, you know, oh California, it's like everything here. I always hated that. So I was like you know, that scene started in Australia that inspired me. This scene was happening here. Everywhere I would go, I would learn the roots of how it happened. And there would always be the core skater, you know, like that started it. And everybody credits that guy as the one that got them skating. You know, there's there's this one elder in every village. And I wanted to make sure that that was always like a really big thing with me. And another reason that I had a falling out with ASA was because it was like, no, you know, if you pinnacle it here and make us somehow superior to everything, you're like just really knocking down a whole lot of history and a lot of like diversity and culture. So I always wanted to just travel. That's what I did with David. I just wanted to travel around the world and document the scenes and their elders, pay respect to who, who started the history in their little town and who was doing what and how they were doing it. And just, you know, that was the only goal was just connect us 
and make this giant family. And <clears throat> the thing that Gab Drum was talking about when he said uh, that we were like calling out, you know, it was kind of like a Pied Piper thing calling out, but that wasn't what it was. What he doesn't realize is that again, there was a war, there was a battle going on for marketing and for us to pull ourselves away. So when, when I started doing the magazine, I reached out to all the industries that were making products, Hyper, um, Kryptonics, Rollerblade. And I said, what are you going to do for us? You know, I sent them, I posed the question to them in a fax. <laughs> what are you going to do for this industry? You know, what products are you going to design for us? You know, what plans do you have? Are you going to put any teams together? Yada, yada. Not one of those motherfuckers answered back to me, except for Cosmo, of course, um, because Tim's one of us. And, and so I didn't get a single response. Not one of them took me serious. So I had nothing to print. It was called Voice, Voice of the Industry. And so instead, since I got no responses back, I put a questionnaire together for all the skaters and said, talk to the industry. Tell them what, you, what do you want in the industry? And so that first issue has that, you know, skated the if you can even read it um my horrible i was gonna i was gonna say because uh, i remember seeing that in, in the magazine too it says it quoted from the magazine we asked some skaters what they had to say to the industry of inline skating and this is what we heard we also tried to get quotes from every skate company about their plans for the future and where they will be directing their marketing but for one reason or another that just didn't work out maybe next time <laughs> yeah. They did not answer. So I was like, <laughs> all right, okay. And uh, especially Rollaway wanted nothing to do with me. Um, so I was the antichrist. So when that first issue came out and they saw that this was going to happen and this was serious or whatever, oh, you better believe issue number two, everybody is like, kiss the ring oh well we're gonna make a product we're gonna put a team together we're gonna do this because suddenly they realized that there was like an actual platform that was going to connect people and if they weren't on board they were going to be you know they realized that yes i was now in marketing and i was going to market for us by us to us and that was it you were either on board or piss off yeah, it was so, so it's so awesome here in the beginning of all of these things from the tricks to how this thing's getting started and people wanted to jump on. I just wanted to say that like we're talking about how beginning of time this is for skating. In the issue itself it says like the inside scoop, Rollerblade is finally coming out with a street skate. Rosie supposedly has one out now and Auction is coming out with one as well. Any yeah. others? Like that's how early this is. And it even says um, keep your eyes and ears open for a group productions dare to air video. It's the first real video about aggressive skating. Like that's like like foreshadowing, you know, with the first yeah. blade video. It's it's fucking yeah. amazing to see that. And you also have in here Daily Bread sister Mag Box will be coming soon to a store near you. What was yeah, the relationship was trying, then man. between Box and Daily Bread? I was I was on the hippie love side, you know, but uh, at the same time they were trying to put me out. So yeah. Who was this in the picture? You you chose two for box. Yeah. Who yeah. is that? Oh, that's Pat Pat Parnell and Chris Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> Man, call them out and everything. I see you are trying to play the the hippie, you know, like you're trying to be neutral because you also shout out Rollerblade in here too. And yeah. you obviously you got fired wanted, from Rollerblade. I wanted everyone to recognize that like there was no no hey there was no nothing it was just very strict serious 
let us be free. Let us be ourselves or else, you know, like we are not going to, we're not going to be pushed around. We're going to be who we're going to be. And this is what's going to happen. And we want you on board. We'd love for you to be on board. You know, we want everybody to whatever, just don't be fake. Don't be an asshole. Don't be greedy. Don't be egotistical. Don't be in it for fame. Don't, you know, like, if you're looking to get famous and just make a bunch of money and you're only doing this because those are your objectives, move on. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, I actually was watching some of your things and Derek Henderson took him a while. He says it, he figured it out. You know, he figured out what rolling meant to him, what he was when he finally stopped trying, you know, because he wasn't there in that beginning when we had nothing. So a lot of people came in wanting something, you know, like all we wanted was an industry, but a lot of people came later that had other ulterior motives. They either wanted to be famous or they wanted to make a bunch of money or they wanted to like, you know, they wanted something. And uh, to me, it was just always that crystal clear cut. If you're in it for skating and because you love skating, you're my friend, your family. If you're in it because skating is going to do something for you, I can't relate. You know, like, I just, I got nothing for you. Um, I'm not looking to get anything. And people would always, like, say, oh, Angie, you know, she owns the magazine. I'm like, yeah, you know, like, that's a giant rock in my pocket. I, I'm, I put every dime back into it. Uh, I don't have a car. I don't have insurance. I don't own a home. I, you know, my one fancy thing is I would, I love to go out to dinners. But other than that, like, I literally, it was like, you know, I work like 16, 17 hours a day. I don't get to skate anymore. You guys are watching the videos. You're out skating, you know, like, it got to a point where I thought, like, Jesus, you know, like, it's at a certain point, it was like, is my only job now to get guys laid? You know, because it got <laughs> so much like that. And I'm like, where's, you know, like. I missed the family. Like I was so busy creating a family that I alienated myself from it because suddenly I was the man. I was like, I was the head of the magazine. I was somebody to take something from or get something from. And it became very, mm. you know, like obviously, you know, like to me, it never stopped being family. Like everyone that came to work for me, uh, everything that my motivation never changed. It always just stayed about the the individual goal that i wanted to achieve and uh and so it was just really all of a sudden weird to have to to have a, a lot of people in the industry not recognize me for the skater that i was you know yeah i was redhead honcho you know like that had been long forgotten and uh that hurt a lot because you know suddenly I was an outsider to the very thing that I, I wanted to create for other people to have an inside. And that inside was shunning me. It's kind of like when you have, you have a kid and you wipe their diaper and wipe their diaper, wipe their butt and blow their wow. nose. They vomit all over you and stuff. And then, you know, and you sacrifice and stuff. And then they turn 16, they tell you to fuck off. They hate your guts and steal mm. your car keys. That's kind of how it felt at a certain, you know, by the end. Um, but I always held out hope, you know, because I always did it for the skaters. So I never, I let the other stuff roll off my back, you know, corporate stuff, people that were clearly in it for the money and clearly in it just, 
all they thought about was Benjamins and whatever, you know, like I let a lot of that stuff roll off my back, but, but, uh, you know, I, I always told myself and I still do this day that like, I was always doing it for the, my family, the skaters, you know, people who felt like I did when they skated, people who wanted to skate for that reason, people who did it because they needed to do it. You know, it, it was part of them. It's like an artist being told that they can't paint. It's like, it's a part of you. It's something you have to express. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people I know, you guys probably too. It's like the minute you put those skates on your feet, that became a part of you, not just something you do. And even if you, you know, I get mad at people who like judge skaters when they stop or something, you don't know what's going on with them. It's still in their heart. It's still a part of who they are. It's still a part of their life. You know, like I can't, I started like, I alienated myself or exiled, self-exiled, I guess you would say, after the incident with Daily Bread for like five years. I didn't speak to anybody. And not damn near not one soul reached out to me either. So, you know. Incident like when the comp when you guys closed the doors. Huh? When you guys closed doors at Daily Bread, when you guys um, stopped. That's what you mean, right? The incident? Well, when yeah, when the magazine was stolen. Like, it's not like I had a choice. I would have never given up. So I would daily bread issue, whatever would be coming out right now. It'd be a different format clearly, but, um, would you, do you want to grow? I, I don't really know that story. Do you want to grow on that? Oh my gosh. I can't, I, from as much as I finally started, when I finally started talking about it, which was five years after the fact, uh, it was on the mushroom podcast. Those guys finally, somebody actually finally asked me, <laughs> <laughs> like I was silent for five years. Just like, I just evaporated like a ghost. And uh, after five years, I got a call from the guys at Mushroom, which I was happy because of all the people, like they were the guys that like really gave me hope in what was about to come with rollerblading. And so the idea that they paid for an ad and then that magazine was stolen and their money was stolen and it appeared to be stolen by me that broke my fucking heart. So like <clears throat> the fact that it was them, not all of my old school homies, not any, it was them. And Ezekwe, Ezekwe. Um, but it was them that called and said, hey, what happened? And so 2011 was the first time I actually sat right here on this porch or I moved into the bedroom, I think. And I uh, told the story, you know, of what happened and why Daily Bread was no more. And then I guess I, I, that kind of opened a floodgate. And I was like, you know, fuck this. I'm just going to, people deserve to know, you know, like it, I would never have done that to the readers. I would have never done that to the skaters. And, deserve, uh, deserve to know what? Daily Bread was stolen, dude. Like um, the recession happened and, and uh, I want to say 2003, it kind of really started. Uh, the recession started happening. Skaters weren't, people weren't buying skates so much. And a lot of the companies were pulling back their ads. Internet was coming around. So people wanted to focus their advertising dollars on internet and so forth. And making a magazine is a shit ton of overhead. You know, like to print, to print an issue, uh, $48,000. Each you know, issue? Like to print an issue of the magazine. Whoa, because I grown the distribution large. I mean, the whole world was depending on the magazine. So it's like, yeah, we're talking, you know, a perfect bound, hundred page 
magazine that you know to me the magazine represented us that was us man that was our identity that was who we were that was our voice and so it needed to look good i mean the first issue i made i went to asr and had it thrown in my face by skateboarders you know like back and faggot you know like to me it was like no you look at that magazine <laughs> you Whoa. look at that so everything you know from the tours i tried to get us involved with you know with um the universal studios thing with sublime the warp tour uh, Lollapalooza. I got the first ramp set, but Lollapalooza. Like I always wanted to identify us with what I knew we were. Um, you know, I could give two fucks about the X Games or any of that kind of shit because, like, you know, you guys are paying people right now. There you go. You want to get paid as a skater? Get paid <laughs> by your industry to do stuff for your industry because you're in. You know, it's like exactly. a village. Nobody needs to go from the village to the empire to make a living. You just make a living off each other organically from things you need. Mm. But uh, anyway, so um, the magazine just represented to me who we were as an industry. It wasn't about me making a magazine. It wasn't about me having a business. It, it was bigger. It was bigger than that. It was. Yeah, it, it wasn't yeah. about skating. It was sponsorship because they got interviews. No, this was our brand. This was our marketing. Yeah. This was what made us a global industry. We just needed to grow. We were babies. You know, like I didn't even have anybody to work for me that was actually a skater. I look around now, like at what you guys are doing and at the talent in the industry and the capability and what you're able to pull off now in terms of being adults and and being taken seriously. You know, not being serious because I'm never gonna fucking be serious, but yeah. take it. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, so like the magazine was was that. So when the recession started to happen, um, you know, I, I at one point I had 21 people I was paying on payroll, and that's a lot of fucking money, a lot of government taxes, a lot of you know, I had vendors, I had debt, I you know, I put on the events, I put together the videos, you know, and yeah all out on the like big events at ASR because I knew how important it was to to establish ourselves within that tribe. Action Sports Retailer in San Diego was like the thing, you know, it's like going to the Golden Globes or something like that's where you identify yourself. That's where you make your mark. So like, you know, I'd, I'd rent the Spreckles Theater and do, you know, like the Forest Fire premiere there. And like, um, I was just always putting everything back into something that people didn't realize what its purpose was i guess you know in the long run that i don't think they saw it you know i remember one thing that killed me was scott walker when we had a meeting at rose uh, razors and i was telling them i was like you know there's a recession but it's really important that you guys keep advertising because it's really important that the magazine keep coming out and i did not know how to as the owner of daily bread i did not know how to get it through to them that I wasn't asking them for advertising dollars because I wanted advertising money. I was asking them to keep advertising. I was asking them to keep making a magazine. I was just the conduit. I was just the person sure. making it happen. I was asking them to keep making a magazine. You were kind of like yeah. crowdfunding it in a way. Yeah. yeah, keep funding this most important thing that's bringing Yeah, this thing that keeps our industry alive. This thing that, yeah. you know, kept so many people active for- I didn't ever. know how to that, you know, so. I remember Scott Walker saying, well, you know, it's, if you go out of business, another magazine will pop up. <laughs> Do you realize it's taken 14 years and a lot of cunning and clever shit 
to get distribution. I mean, do you know you have to pay a mafia mafioso in New York to even get on the newsstands? I mean, I had us in grocery stores, newsstands, global, yeah. airport, everywhere, you know? Like, oh, yeah. And that shit took a lot of fucking Barnes work. and Nobles. It was in Barnes and Nobles. Yeah, you know? I was like, tight. Those distribution contracts don't just materialize. Yeah. You know? Being able to distribute, like learning how to like keep the learning accounting for magazines. Fuck me. Hardest accounting on earth because mm. uh, you're dealing with something where you've got like subscribers that pay for one issue at a time over a two-year period it's called amortization you can't like claim that on your taxes until the money comes in for like five thousand people so you've got five thousand sales that you have to keep track of intermittently as they're happening you 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 print a hundred thousand magazines you ship out seventy thousand sixty thousand sale sell but you invoice for all of them, but then you don't get paid for over a 365 day period. They come in. It's the accounting is insane. It's insanity. Wow. Figuring all that out, figuring out how to get a periodical permit for like being able to ship the magazine at a periodical rate. ISSN. There's so much to it, you know? And I was just right. like, Oh yeah, really? You know, like I started with in Venice, not knowing how the fuck to turn a computer on. And have been busting my ass 16, 17 hours a day for four, 13 years. And so, I mean, I think one is a perfect uh, example of that, that. Sure, you can take what I built, but you can't keep it running. The engine just stalls on you because you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Maybe right. it's been 15 years now they've been doing it. Where the fuck is their distribution? Where? So whatever, but. Wait, who line, are we talking about? Are we talking about one? Yeah, the yeah. recession. I, I'll try to get there faster. The I had an office down on State Street, and uh, the recession was happening. I had overhead, and what people don't realize is, like, when you have, you know, when you get to the end of your 30 days, you know, you've got your rent, your insurance, your car payment, whatever. That's your 30 days worth of bills, and you know you're going to get your check, and you know that that check needs to cover that month's bills, right? Well, if the magazine comes out every two months at 100 pages, then I have 60 days worth of rent, payroll, everything to do. So we went from having an $80,000 advertising budget that would just barely cover that. It's not like we ever had anything in savings. It was like McDonald's, you know, yeah, we made 80,000 and print is gonna be 48,000, payroll is gonna be 38,000. You know, we're, we were always just on the dollar barely getting by. But when the recession happened, suddenly we're not going to be able to make payroll because we have a magazine that comes out every other month at a hundred pages. So, you know, I did all the math and figured it out and I'm like, okay, the only way that we can keep going is we have to, the page count has to go back down. Sucks. You know, like I don't want to do that. Page count has to go back down. We have to come out monthly. We have to come out monthly so that, advertising meets all of our expenses for the month. Everything has to be like this. That magazine cannot support two months of payroll of, you know, just everybody was already like, we, we were always, we were always just so barely getting by, you know, like just, we, and yeah. it was very that everyone got paid. So everyone always got paid for like 13 years. I never missed a payment. There were some uh, um, uh, contributing photographers were the first thing that got behind 
and we worked really hard to like get them back up. And that was hard because we were paying the same rate as like trans world. I think we were paying more, you know, making like one quarter of the money, but paying our photographers and stuff. You know, I wanted our industry to support our skaters. Yeah. I wanted it to be self-fulfilling like that. So when I had to go monthly, it pissed a lot of people off that were working for me and they didn't get it. You know, they were young. They didn't understand the cost expense thing, yeah. expense, whatever. Specifically and just, we're talking specifically Justin, right? Um, not yet. Okay. Everyone was pissed off about that. Johnny was mostly pissed off about that. Johnny, Johnny D. Johnny D. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I had to make it happen. And there were a couple of snowball things. I lost Jenny, who was like my right hand. You know, she's the one who put the calls in to everybody. Like, because, you know, our industry, she would have to call them 15 times to get anybody to pay for an ad. Uh, we were probably owed in the neighborhood of $40,000. You know, we were basically supporting a lot of skater-owned companies. Like, you know, you got to pay for your ad, but then they wouldn't. But I'm not going to stop advertising them because our industry needs to have these skater-owned companies in it so you know like you're giving free ads to all these companies got away with a lot of shit for mm. a long time you know like basically daily bread really was supporting the fuck out of the industry you know yeah um, for sure i mean just on like so many different levels but yeah yeah so um things got just really fucking hard and a couple of things when i lost jenny um this lady, it was like, you know, Craig's, Craigslist ad, you know, like, who am I going to get to work for me? I can't afford anybody. So this lady that answered an ad comes in, she's got like a purple thing, a, like pinky nail. Turns out she was a complete fucking psycho. She would tell me about uh, um, her daughter's kid and crack and how she like punctured the tires. I was scared of this woman at a certain point. And then I found that I would find like, I found like, months worth of mail just shoved into places in the office so she was just pulling this scam the whole time i guess she had like pulled some other scam to get work workers unemployment some she was a scam a con artist long story short she was a fucking manipulative con artist so she wasn't doing her job and to protect herself she started telling lies that i wasn't doing my job which you know, she would just start saying things like, oh, Angie just keeps changing this, or Angie keeps changing. Mm. She would just, you know, that bad apple. She started that, planting. That, that little shit talking in the office that just, like, spreads yeah. kind of shit, yeah. I had no idea what she was doing. She even told Jenny, who I love, who is still one of my best friends on Earth uh, right now. Um, she's basically my sister. Um, she told Jenny that, um, I think she said that I forged Jenny's signature, I, I Basically, she tried to talk shit on me to Jenny. And Jenny, like, of course, called me. And she's like, and I was like, holy fuck. That's when I realized really the damage that she was doing. You know, I had no idea of the. So I started looking more at the books because Jenny had outlined what she was supposed to do pretty well. You know, it was her job to call and get the advertising dollars in, to do the accounting, to pay the bills. Turns out she wasn't paying the bills she had not called and gotten any of the advertising in. So like, here we are in a recession. Things are just barely to the wire. She doesn't get the advertising in for an entire issue, which puts us, you know, like, you know, puts me in a real hairy position with being able to like get everybody paid. And then 
everything just snowballed like that. Rusty was supposed to like make a contract with the um, subscription people to no longer bill us on a per on, on a monthly basis, but instead on a per issue basis, or not on a per, whatever. Shit, just people. You know, that's why I said I will never work with a group of people. I'll never be a boss again. Never wanted to be a boss. But you take the you take the fall for anything that anyone does wrong in your office. It's going to come back on you because you got to answer to it. You know, somebody forgets to pay a bill, that's coming back on you. Somebody mm -hmm. fucks up a contract and suddenly you're going to have to pay twice as much as you were supposed to be paying. That's going to be on you too. So <clears throat> I started needing to make cuts. I needed to let go of Deb. I needed to take over the accounting again. I was fucking exhausted by this point. I mean, I was... It was time. I kept saying next year, next year, next year, you know, and by this time I'm like, I'm th 13 years into 16 hour days and stuff and I'm just fucking exhausted. Mm. So I realized I've lost Jenny. I'm going to have to actually work harder than I've ever worked since the beginning. You know, can I do this? Like I'm, I'm mentally and physically just beat down. I got real sick and realized that like nobody called me except to see if their paychecks were going to be on time you know i was just like fuck man like this just uh so and and justin was again one of those bad seeds like uh the guy was so fucking negative that i didn't want to hire him in the first place but my my picks for hiring people you guys didn't exist brian kranz didn't exist people that write and know how to none of these there were no skaters yet ready mm -hmm. to be involved in the industry mm -hmm. so my pickings were very slim and um, I, I first started having Justin just write stuff from Ohio, but it was just so negative and I would have to rewrite and I would just be like, oh my God, like this guy is such a downer, you know, like how can anybody have such a negative, how can anybody piss me off so bad trying to say something? But eventually I just was like, you know, I, I'm exhausted. I need someone. So I brought him out and it was mostly not to write, but to like do the administrative part of it. And then I needed help with, there was just, I, I can't even go into it. There was just like all kinds of shitty people. Right. Mine. And, uh, um, Justin, when I, when I, you know, I let Johnny go at that time because Keith was going to take over pre-press and Johnny had been like kind of elsewhere for a while now, you know, he wasn't taking photos as much anymore. Shooty was there. So it was really important. Shooty, Shooty was, I just love Shooty. I always thought of him like a brother. And um, so I just, I had to get out of that office. I had to get out of that contract. That, that advertising thing, just with the losing the month. And then Peel went on vacation for like two weeks. I'm like, you can't do that to me. And it's like, and the whole office was like, he needs to go on vacation. I'm like, you don't understand. Him going on vacation is literally the end of the fucking magazine. So, okay, go ahead. But like, you know, while you're on vacation, bills are piling up here that aren't going to get paid because we're going to get fat. So it was just like trying to put snakes in a barrel with everything. And uh, but I pulled up my fucking boots. I got I got out of my contract at the office that we were in. I found a house. Um, I wasn't going to be able to move into it yet, but I was basically taking Daily Bread back to where it started. You know, back in my house. You know, I'm going to make it here. We all come in. So there was like a one month interim um, where there was going to be. Like literally nobody had to come to work because there was no office or anything. But I told those guys, you know, I'll keep I'll keep you on payroll because, you know, I just that's how I was. Stupid. 
So I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll keep you on payroll, even though nobody was, I found out they were actually all doing other jobs. Like I think Justin was doing barely dead. Um, but I came back to this house actually that I live in now. I didn't live here now. I had just met my husband. So he let me set up a desk in the back in his room. I had papers everywhere. I exploded on his room and I was going through everything and just like calling and wheeling and dealing and trying to make shit happen. And um, Justin was a big fucking problem because he had just kind of come in. He was very entitled about things, very pissed off on some instances. He, he, he kind of felt like he had my back, but he really didn't. Um, it just, again, it became, I'm the man, I'm the boss, I'm the whatever, and eh, you're not taking mm. care of us. Like, look, I paid the bills for 13 fucking years. I've supported the industry. I mean, we're in a recession. This is a fucking hard time. I'm doing my best for you guys, you know, like, and I was, I was, I mean, to me, like I said, they were family. I was doing my fucking best. Um, and then finally got the, I got, I got shit to a certain point that basically kept us resuscitated and kept us breathing. And then I got everything moved in over the other house. I brought those guys in and I was right away, you know, I was still working on the accounting stuff. By the time I actually, about two weeks into being over there a little more, the issue had been uh, getting put together. So like, and, and Wes had come on. So I had Wes, Shooty, and Justin. That was it. And me, nobody else. Those were the guys I decided to keep. And it's like together, because that's what we needed. You know, that was the bare minimum of what we needed. And I would it's a big cut from 21 people. Yeah. So I would do everything. Um, you know, I would do the free press. I would do the, well, actually, uh, Wes was going to kind of do the free, whatever. I was doing all of the administrative shit and so forth, but it's like, you can't have a magazine without, without your advertisers. I put Justin in charge of advertisers. I had literally taken him around to meet everybody, vouched for him, said, I know, you know, a lot of these people just did not want to deal with Justin. They just did not like him. I, I talked him up. I was like, look, he's going to do a great job. You know, please, you know, um, basically I, I put him up there, you know, I'm like, trust him. He's going to do great. And, uh, <clears throat> So I had put Justin in charge of advertising and uh, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm sitting and I had a house that was only blocks away from here and uh, I finally finished the accounting. And one of them, I don't know if it was Wes or it's funny because Wes didn't, Justin didn't want me to hire Wes. He didn't trust him. <laughs> you can see your own, you know, you can spot your own. I, I didn't, but uh so anyway, I, I remember it so clearly because I had just finished the accounting. Somebody had mentioned them going on part-time, you know, we should just go on part-time. And I'm like, to me, you got to understand, you know, like I built this up. I built up a family. That was like a fucking death knell to me. I felt like I was letting them down, you know, like I would do anything. I didn't want my, my family. I didn't want my, my tribe that I had built, you know, from the ground up in the, on the floor in Venice. I didn't want to let him down, you know, like I wanted to keep being able to provide, but I just fucking couldn't, you know, so I'm doing the accounting, I'm doing the numbers and I'm like, I said it, I was like, I, I can't, I can't go on like this. Like I cannot keep going on like this. And I broke down in tears. And I think that was the first time that they actually really saw me crack, you know, and uh, the response 
from Justin as he got up angry and walked out the door. Whoa. So they got up and they just fucking stormed out. Like, fuck you. You can't, you know, like, fuck you. And I was just crushed. And so I just sat there and I was like, okay, all right, how can I make this work? You know, like, because my, my statement was one of like, fuck, I can't do this anymore. In no way, shape or form did I say, I'm ending the magazine right now. What I said was, it's for, I'm fucking exhausted and I can't, this is just killing me. I can't fucking do, you know, have you ever done that at work? You're doing a project or something and you're like, I can't take it anymore. I can't fucking do this. Yeah, so that, yeah. was, that was my breaking moment. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it was, it was heart wrenching, their response, but I understood it. You know, I understood it. Uh, I was a paycheck behind uh, with them. I was trying to figure out anything I could do. My mom, who's poor as shit, had left me like a thousand dollars. That was her like inheritance to me or something. I cashed it and gave it to them. I did everything I could to fucking keep people paid. Um, the paycheck that was late to them was for the month that they weren't even expected to come into an office. So it was like, you know, I was, I was feeling this like entitled brattiness in a way. So uh, part of me was heart wrenched and angry, you know, but part of me was angry and like, fuck man like you know give me a fucking break i'm you know this is whatever so anyway i the letters that i would write you know just i read the letters that i wrote and it's like god you know like i'm like groveling i'm begging i'm like pleading to please not be mad at me you know i'm trying really hard and i just look back at it and i'm like fuck you know like it, it it's it's difficult but anyway i sat there and i thought okay fuck this, you know, like, I, I got to figure this out, you know, like, these guys are all pissed off, and I feel like I'm letting them down, and, and I just can't, you know, because the, the pain of it was really difficult, so I just sat down, and I was like, all right, pedal to the metal, and I figured everything out, and I was like, okay, you know what, one of them had mentioned going part-time, if I suck it up, and just accept the fact that I can't pay everyone full-time, I can figure this out, so I put together this sheet, that laid it all out and the, the numbers worked and I did a tra trajectory and a projection and I was like, okay, you know, like about eight months is all it would take for me to like get out from under this bullshit with Deb, get back up to a position where income is matching expenses and I can start bringing them back full time. We can do this. We can get out of it. So I called them all. I was excited. I called those guys and I was like, you know, come around to the house. I have this figured out. I'm going to make this work. And uh, they came around. I gave them the sheet. I still have a copy of it, you know, of how we can make it work and what it would happen and everything. And Justin literally, like, threw it in the face. And they were just angry. And they were like, no, fuck you. And the, the word was, do you have a paycheck for us right now? And if you don't, fuck off. So I was just like, wow. Okay. Fuck. So again, I was like really fucking depressed and I was like um, hurt. I felt like I let them down and stuff. And then eventually I started realizing and like, I, I, I'm my own worst critic and I, I get really down on myself. I'm, I'm one of those people that like should have a t-shirt that says, you know, hold on a minute while I overthink this, I just really mind fuck myself to death. So I was doing that. And I was just like feeling like such a fucking failure. And like, I was letting everybody down. And I was like, how can I like, how can I make this right? And then I started thinking, wait a minute. If, if I don't have any, you know, cause by this time 
people are starting to come around. The internet's kind of coming around, you know, we've got a, I've been trying to have a website built for years, but clearly, you know, I was trying to, I was trying to get them to build DBM TV. I was trying to build YouTube before <laughs> I didn't know what I was asking, but uh, the internet was coming around, you know, there were skaters writing, a lot of good photographers were coming about and, and things were out there. Suddenly there were like resources, you know, that didn't exist before. And I started thinking about it and I was like, fuck, if I didn't have payroll, which is the largest expense I have, I could actually pay contributing photographers a decent amount of money again. I could pay contributing writers and they exist now. I wouldn't have overhead. I wouldn't have all the overhead that I've had before because I've already kind of cut that back and I'm working from home again. But I could put out a hundred page magazine again, quarterly. And I got super fucking excited because I was like, I can do the magazine that I want to do again. A fat ass, like coffee table, quarterly, kick ass, have the website going. I can have contributors. And I had this, everything just started to materialize. And I was like, yeah this will be right for the industry this will be great you know our legacy can continue on like this and grow and develop and and eventually pass it off to all the like inline people you know and the magazine slowly fades and just becomes you know like annual yearbook kind of thing and and all of the young skaters that are coming up and that are contributing start developing things on their own i'm out you know and everything goes the way it's supposed to go but instead, when I started getting that idea, I thought, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and send the magazine to print. That's like a 30,000, 32,000 in advertising. Um, without these guys here, I can pay off this bill, this bill, this bill, this bill, go ahead and get this. I, I just got really excited about suddenly when I removed me feeling like a failure and like I was letting those guys down, I started realizing that, okay, no, this is gonna be good for the industry and this is where I need to go. Yes, I'm alone again, but that's all right. You know, like this is gonna be good. And I got really excited and I, and I went to look for the files to send the magazine to the printer and I couldn't find them. They just, I was like, where the fuck are the magazine files? So I called Judy and he didn't answer. I know now in hindsight why he didn't answer. But then I got a call and I actually have the recording and they, Wes and Justin, they stole the magazine. They took all the files, they took the everything. They, while I was busy crying and being upset that I was letting them down, they were busy perfecting a coup and taking the magazine. They called all the advertisers because remember I put Justin in charge of being in, in communication with the advertisers. Apparently they had called all the advertisers and told them that I decided to shut the magazine down and they, in their good hearts, were taking over the mantle and starting something new to keep the industry alive. And um, they literally took all of the content, all of the advertisers, everything, and they had already sent it to the printer because remember Wes did rejects when I had wasn't able to hire him before he got pissed off and started reject so you know there's a i always used to say there's only room in this industry for one magazine because you know people kept trying to start magazines so that they could be magazine people and it's like you don't understand there's only room for one fucking magazine our industry can only afford one and this is a tool mm. to 
create an industry and to keep an industry alive like this yeah isn't about you getting to own a magazine this is a you got a goal here you know like so no there's not there's only room for one so to this day i'm sure that that's why they called it one um but yeah they just fucking straight up walked off with everything and uh nobody even called me to like say hey angie what is it are you really ending the magazine are you really quitting are you really like stopping it are you really shutting the doors are you really like shutting down not nobody not a single soul so i just you just walked stopped. away after that i just walked away i was like wow well i mean i tried to fight them but i wasn't gonna fight it was like everything that i was making the magazine for disappeared and just vanished in that moment because that family that wasn't my family the skaters out there were my family and they had nothing to do with this you know they didn't even know what was happening all they knew was i was letting them down you know they thought i was letting them down and i was giving up on them i mean you read through daily bread you'll see how many times i've like said that i would never go away if i've even said that it might have been there in one of those first issues where i said even if i have to go back to making it in my bedroom i'll never abandon you so that fucking hurt the rest of it I, I you know whatever sure industry goes on it really didn't but uh um yeah so like that's why i'm saying it was so important uh well no i, I tried to fight them but like you gotta remember i have no money i can't send the magazine I've already stretched it because I was like getting into a new place. Uh, so like I've already cashed out, you know, the thousand dollars my mommy left me and mm -hmm. given it to them. So I have nothing to pay a lawyer or anything, but I talked to this lawyer he said that he would, I said, you know, it does me no good to try to do anything about this. If I can't go all the way, you know, like if I can't, cause he explained to me the steps, you know, that you, you file a, um, uh, what's that called when you don't allow an unlawful, unlawful detainer? Is that the right thing? I think it sounds right. I'm not a lawyer. I don't. I can't talk sounds about right. that. Remembering my my legal terms, but I think it's called an unlawful detainer, which makes it so that they have to stop what they're doing until it can be discussed in a court, and then the judge rules on whether the unlawful detainer is right. And then he forces them to return what belongs to you. So that's just called an unlawful detainer. It's like a quick thing. From there, it moves into you have to file damages for what they've done. And the damages is where they actually have to, like, they're found guilty of, um, well, not found guilty. Basically, like, you know, like when somebody sues you, the judge says, yeah, you got to pay them. You know, so like filing the damages thing so that the, the industry understood what happened was the important part. Those guys pay for what they did. Um, so the way it went down is this lawyer, which, I mean, there's how many jokes have been made about lawyers because this is how lawyers are. Um, the lawyer filed the unlawful detainer. Uh, we got the unlawful detainer. We were awarded the unlawful detainer. They had to stop. Um, and then the court date was set and then we went to court and at court, the judge said, okay, I'm ruling in her favor and you have to return her belongings. 
but judges and lawyers don't know shit about magazines. So those guys returned all my shit except the cover of the magazine. So they returned everything but the cover. Now, I can't go shoot Jeff Stockwell again because how the fuck am I going to do that in the middle of all this? You know, yeah. you think about the clusterfuck that's happening here. Uh, they kept my cover shot to the story. Um, knowing, of course, I mean, that was shady as fuck. It's like the judge is telling you to return all my shit. You return it all, but you're already at the printer and you've already printed Daily Bread in your name and you've returned everything except my cover photo. So I can't go to print and explain to the advertisers that I'm going to print too. You need to pay the contract that you actually signed for advertising, which was with Daily Bread. This other thing is a sham. I can't do that because I can't go to print because I don't have the cover shot. So when I tell my lawyer this, you know, my lawyer is like, okay, cool. You know, uh, we're leaving. I'm like, you don't understand. I'm like, he's like, you just go get another photo. <laughs> like, yeah, sure. I'll just run out down to Orange County tomorrow with my, uh, my Canon camera and hook up with Stockwell. And we'll go shoot this fucking cover. Yeah. Um, oh my so God. I, I cannot, first of all, I've never heard that story. I mean, wow. I knew I, I I knew there was some kind of thing that you guys didn't get along. It was a bad falling out, whatever the case. I I never knew the extent of that story. So that is that's crazy. They they think they won in court, which is just the stupidity is amazing to me. It's like okay, you were owed a paycheck. You stole my business. That would be like you work in an auto dealership. Here comes one of my bad examples. You, when you are hired by a magazine to take photos, to write stories or whatever, everything you write, you've been hired. It, you, it's, <laughs> you've been hired to do that. So you can't say, oh, it's my photos or it's my writing. No, you were paid to do that job. So it's ridiculous. It's like if you have a car lot and one of the car salesmen didn't get his check. So he comes in at night and he steals the inventory and then says, well, it, you, it, it's that ridiculous. You can't just fucking take someone's business because yeah. they, when someone doesn't pay you, like they were upset, even though had that issue gone to print, they would have been paid. Just like I told him, I was like, you know, I'm sorry, 14 years of paying everybody on time, never missed a beat, never a late check. I think you can give me this one, you know, like yeah. as soon as magazine goes to print you're paid you know but of course the magazine can't go to print now because you've stolen the magazine so the thing you're supposed to do when you haven't gotten a paycheck is you're supposed to file with the the government you know edd or whatever and you're supposed to say hey this person yeah pay and then they come after me to pay you you don't get to play uh, vigilante and steal my business and rationalize it and justify it as okay for a fucking paycheck, especially when you just stole thirty thousand dollars worth of advertising for like a hundred and thirteen dollars you were owed. So, and you know what these guys had the nerve to do? And this is what fucking kills me. Okay, my lawyer after we won the the unlawful detainer, and I called my lawyer and I'm like, okay, so what do we do now to go forward with the damages? Oh well, um. I have this bill. The guy was charging me $8,000 to go forward with a damages case against them. I don't have fucking $8,000. So I had to drop it. 
I dropped the case, they would be in jail on a felony theft charge had I gone forward with the case because they hands down stole my business and my files and my belongings, copyright belongings from my office. They stole them. And that is straight up felony theft for that amount of money. So, and some planet, they actually believe that because I dropped the case that they won and that they were, I, I don't know. It's so bizarre and crazy that it's hard for me to wrap my head around, but guess what these guys did afterwards? And I'm just going to say dumb and dumber at this point are just greedy as fuck. I'm not sure. They actually then went and filed with the EDD for their paychecks. I'm not sure so, if you can get your head around that. So you had to pay that? Fuck no, I didn't pay it. Yeah. I was incorporated, so they, they were, there was no way. But I do, I am still on the line. Like I can't, I, I still have a, a growing $30,000 debt for payroll taxes because when all of that was going down in the recession and stuff and then Deb wasn't paying them, they came to the office. That's actually when Deb lied to Jenny and said that I told them Jenny, I mean, it was just, it's such insanity that it's just insanity. So Angie, every I, 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 I got I to interject for a second. Yeah. Um, this podcast has been. Am I like in the this, dark? No, you're, yeah, I think you could use a candle or a light. Or <laughs> but, um, but I think, um, first of all, we've been through an insane amount of history in this podcast. This has been, we've been, we've been super a, insane, super we're educational. Going almost, we're, we're going on almost three hours. Um, so I think we're going to try to, we need to get you on again. Would you be willing to come on again? Of course. I love that. That would be awesome. Um, but I think for tonight, we're going to have to wrap this up pretty soon. Uh, Oh, that sounds good to me. Angie. (laughs) Just like you were ready for bed. But you know what? I want. I'm glad that we started everything out talking about skating and like that history of it and stuff because yeah. a lot of times. And and I'm I'm also glad that you guys did get to find out because I thought everybody knew at this. No, point. I had no idea. Um, this Angie, this is insane to me. Like, I'm yeah, like, it, it was. Very it's crazy. Insane. I never knew but, the details. I knew like the gist of it, but I never knew how deep it went and all the stuff afterwards that happened. Like, oh, there was a falling out. That a disagreement. No, yeah, yeah. That's that's kind yeah. of what I knew about it. <laughs> like john and shima had a falling out they were partners this was daily bread and a dude i had just hired a couple years before i mean like fucking they just flat out stole the magazine out from the whole industry so anyway um now i'm glad we get to talk about that because i feel like you know i don't want to always be to have you know to talk about that i think this will be it if anybody from now on if anybody asks me i'm gonna say look at this this and this and you'll get that because i do you know like I want to talk more about the history and the good parts and stuff because I found my love again, you know, putting on my skates and just fucking rolling around like I did in the parking lot with Doug. And I was like, hell yeah, you know, like took five years of me being away, but you know, my husband skates. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's good that you, you're coming back and you're, you're doing your thing, you know, you, you're doing it. You're starting back where you began in the first place. I can't cause I got these like, apparently some weird thing where I can barely even walk sometimes because it hurts. So, I mean, my, my, my skating is very, very limited, but I'm, I have this desire, strong desire to take my husband to a mini ramp 
So <laughs> that is gonna happen. That is you gotta you gotta film that and put that on social media when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be a new TikTok <laughs> yeah. trend. But um, we definitely got to have you on a second time. This was this is one hundred percent part one. This is this is the Angie Walton podcast part one. Okay. But um, I just I, I want to say this. Um, I just want to thank you for your contribution because I, I think a lot of people now take the internet and the content that's free for granted. But um, during the time when I was growing up skating. Uh, as Austin and I were talking before you, you came on, it was just like daily bread was our thing. It was our Bible. Mm. It was the thing we aspired to be. And I remember getting my first photo in daily bread and, and how big that was for me. And just, uh, you know, just seeing it come up from, from everything in this, the history that it, it created so much of the people that are my friends to this day, because it brought us all together. It was that, too. it was that community that you, um, that you brought together. So I just want to, I just wanted to say thank you and, and how much that means. And I'm sorry, I gotta, I, I think I'm Austin. Other questions. Should we do a couple of questions? And I thought we asked you, for questions earlier and no one had anything to say. Angie, would you be willing to do some questions? Is, that, is it too much to ask? Okay, but I cool. I say to you really quick. Um, I'm just as grateful to every skater out there. Like I am just as grateful, you know, like, we were all just cogs in a wheel. You know, this was just, like I said, this was my family. I was just a skater too. So um, that, and I was surprised to get uh, an email from you because I thought you were going to be in Italy with uh, a girl. Me? Yeah. Italy with a girl? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, back in the day. Wow, you remember that. Oh my God. Yeah, when I was young, you know. I wanted to do those things. <laughs> I was wondering what that was yeah, about, I'm like Italy. South of France by now too. I was gonna be like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, 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 somebody I, else will take over, and no. I love that you remember <laughs> that. <laughs> Billy, Billy that settled down. <laughs> yeah, I'm settled. Okay. Um, let's get to Angie. First of all, this has been amazing. We have to have, like, we have to have you on again very soon. Um, we got to get to a couple of, of these to questions. Ask you guys too, and I haven't even gotten to them. We'll say that for part two. Yeah. <laughs> we'll flip it on us. The questions are coming in though. Um, Shoot Austin. Yeah. Well, um, you kind of spoke about this. Eh, maybe kind of in a little bit. Uh, Josh Butler uh, wants to know, will Daily Bread go online? I don't know if he means like past issues to be uploaded. Yeah, or... yeah. Oh my God. Talk about a failure. Um, I have been determined to get all the legacy issues when I moved into this house here with my husband, you know, like I had all these magazines and stuff and I had found that other house specifically because it had an attic and I had everything stuff in the attic. And when I moved in here with him, um, I had nowhere to put it all. So the, I have pictures where I've got like boxes lining the street here. And I'm like, I had to send, oh God, this still kills me to this day. I had to send it to the recycler. What? All these little daily bread. But I, I kept like, I kept as many as I could fit in my storage unit of each issue. Do you so have at I least one kept... of each issue? Huh? Do you have at least one of each issue? Except for the ones that sold out. And some of them did sell out, but like, I have the inventory written down. I finally got the, in... I've moved them from storage unit to storage unit. I've had nightmares where like storage units leaked and some pages got stuck together on some uh. magazine. My husband went with me. Um, and I inventoried everything and I've got that far, 
but I, I was determined to get everything up online. I wanted to put up a, a, a legacy site, you know, with a lot of history stuff and the old issues and stuff. And that's not enough. You got to do that. Like I said, I was going to get them up for sale and I yeah. fucking have failed miserably because my husband's father passed away, the pandemic, losing Johnny, this house. It's just like one thing after another. And I, and I have to say, you know, rest in peace, Maddie. That's the first time I've let it come out of mm. my mouth because I've been looking for him for a long time. And uh, yeah, we've just lost way too many people and it hurts just as much every time. But uh, I love that kid. So I'm really sad about that. I'm sorry. Yeah, rest in oh, peace, Maddie. Okay. I mean, we had, uh, you know, Arlo said some good words about him too the other day uh, on the show. And it was good to have people who, you know, know him, you know, speak yeah. about it and stuff too. I keep trying to find people and then that's the news. I tried to find Chris Hines and I found out that he was gone. And I tried to find Phil Riley and somebody told me he was gone. And I tried to find Maddie Mintz and then I get another, and I'm like, and we just, you know, there's just been over the years, Richard Taylor, like just, I could just go on and on, James Short. Yeah. And and it's just it's the curse and a blessing of having such an enormous diverse global family that you're gonna lose a lot of people you know mm-hmm. but it doesn't get any easier. <clears throat> I'm really glad it's dark so you guys can't see. Me, <laughs> well, 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 we'll lighten the mood a little bit with um. Yeah, that question. Get back to that. Okay. Sir. Yeah. Um. Let me ask you. Let me ask you one of these questions. Um. So there's there's some people asking a lot of the same questions. Um, if you if you continue to follow uh, blading these days, or is there is it like a situation where it's like you know like a bad breakup and you like need some distance and you haven't been following, or do you, do you like keep up at all? And if you <laughs> do, what do you think about years, it? But aside from like you know with my band and when I when I when the magazine when that happened. I was always frustrated with not being able to uh, do the website myself because that was the one thing that I really wanted to have. So the first thing I did was teach myself programming. Mm-hmm. So that's what became my career. I started just doing programming. Um, so it's like, you know, I had the band and then moved in and restoring this house. It took like five years. 2011 is when I first started, like, just kind of coming out of my, like, wounds and everything and thank you to the mushroom guys because they were a pivotal part in me healing in that way and uh so from that point on it just kind of like i i I go in waves you know where it's like i might just go down a rabbit hole one day and i'm like checking out skaters i saw a photo that i stared at for like i swear to god 20 minutes today and i went through this kid's whole page some kid in uh, Romania or Bulgaria, I can't remember, but mm. there was this photo that he had on his profile, and I was like, my God, that photo like says everything about skating. It reminded me of the quote-unquote Dave Fishburne cover of issue four, where everyone told me not to run that photo, and I was like, no, it's the photo, because you know, skaters are becoming, it's gone from us knowing everyone to like just the random-ass skater on the street so this cover of issue four represents just some sick skater somewhere faceless nameless that we don't know and that was uh, the one shot from the back 
like yeah. the soul grind or whatever? Yeah. And that's what that represented was just that like skating wasn't just people we knew anymore. It was like, it was bigger than us. So um, yeah, this photo, it was just amazing. I was just like, I could feel this guy's love just like in his hometown skate, you're just sessioning. So I started going through his whole page and I just do that sometimes. Like I'll, I'll get on just like remembering and like I have a goal to sit down, like I said, and read every issue and watch all the videos because I just never got a chance to watch them. So no, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know shit about what's going on right now. And that's mm -hmm. fucking awesome because from what I hear from watching some of you guys' podcasts, which are great, by the way, awesome. Thank uh, you so much. There's resurgence right now? Is there this like one, a resurgence? This one kicks ass right now. No, there's well, definitely, definitely resurgence. This podcast right now kicks ass. It always takes 20 years. It's like math. Us humans have <laughs> 20 years from the pinnacle, the initial pinnacle, and here we are, 2020. Our, our initial pinnacle was 1999. So that makes perfect sense. I've been waiting for this. I'm very happy to hear it. You guys finally got your shit together. Everybody's like having a, a, a you know, you guys, you guys are the reason. You guys are the reason that that's happening. All of you. Because you're, you're doing exactly the same thing that, that I did in terms of like, you're getting it out. You're it's, serving. It's so grassroots again, still the same way. That's like never dying in our sport. Yeah. So you know, I, it's like I was actually going to ask you about, um, because a few people had mentioned if you were ever thinking about uploading those magazines to, on, to online and that's, yeah, that's, that's huge. You should, you should I definitely. Am going. Every single one of them will be online. Well, uh, about that cover shot with the unknown skater, do you still not know who it is? Because it was rumored that it was Ortega, Dave Ortega. You know what? Um, I was actually trying to do that today. And yeah, I, it's, I'm pretty sure it was Dave Ortega. Um, for some reason, once when someone goes from being anonymous to you to being like someone you know really, really well, and then like we have that fake name because we didn't know him. Mm -hmm. Something in my halftime or dementia brain today was like, was that Dave? Look, wait. And I started getting confused. So I'm going to have to actually ask Arlo because he was part of that whole thing. And for some reason, it was like one of those things like telling about your first day of school and it's so vivid. And then all of a sudden you just you can't fucking remember it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a while ago. <laughs> but it was day Speaking of speaking of covers, um, Harith Hassan asked a good question too. He goes, "What was the inspiration behind the Josh Petty cover? Because the one of just his face." <laughs> I got told that you can't run a cover like that. <laughs> of course, yeah. Like, I, it's like this thing, you know. I was always the anarchist about like, oh well, no, you have to have this in the top left corner of a magazine. You have to format it like that. You have to do this. You can never run a shot like that. Blah blah. blah. Uh, it'll never sell on the newsstand. And uh, I'm trying to remember if they were right about it not selling on the newsstand, but uh, <laughs> we wanted to do it. I mean, Petty was bling, and that cover represented Petty. I don't think there was any, that, that was the shot we wanted to run. So, yeah. There was, was definitely, definitely like a badass shot. It was just all personality in that one. There were yeah, so many epic covers. Yeah, because that's what covers. Petty was, man. Yeah. Right? There, there were so and many epic covers. Ah, I want to put photos of stuff up, but I'm, you know, like, again, 
when people were hired to work at the magazine as a photographer, as a videographer, that stuff belongs to Daily Bread. And as a legacy thing, I should be able to put that up on a dbmag.com site and have it up for the world. But I can't because I was a fucking pussy and I let people walk all over me and everyone walked off with their shit. They weren't supposed to, but they did. So a lot of people walked off with their shit. And uh, so it's like, I see this stuff everywhere and I'm like, yeah, well, Daily Bread paid for that. <laughs> you know, like that should be in the archives, you know, to put up for a legacy again. You know, it's just, it's frustrating, but what am I going to do? You know, like, I'm just happy that people are still enjoying it and I'm just happy it's there. So I'm just like, whatever, you know, like it is what it is. And as long as people get to enjoy it and the history is still getting out there, then whatever. We'll Angie, always be enjoying always, it. You're always going to be the godmother of this family. <laughs> Should we do one more question, Bill? I'll take let's it. Do, let's do two more questions. Two more questions. All right, you got one? <laughs> oh, getting a little... Getting a little. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting wild tonight. I saw you Woo! lit this. I saw you lit the cigarette. I'm like, all right, we're, we're kicking back for another couple more. Yeah, I thought you were gonna stop. No, hell no, nah, no. Nah. I I just got a resurgence of energy. Um, <laughs> so let's see, Austin, do you have a question lined up? Um, I well, yeah. Uh, I don't know how to say this. Rhythmics Co. Uh, what is the best daily bread photo slash issue ever in your opinion? Thanks again for doing what you did. Thank uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, whew, that's a hard one. I'll always be biased toward Aton's cover. I think that was the first time we went perfect buying. That was like a pinnacle uh, in printing and everything, the black and white with Aton on the cover. And I think I put gold in that issue. Um, so I love that. Was he talking covers or issues? Uh, he said book photo slash issue. Okay, well, there's many photos. Uh, the glory hole, the um, the salt flats with Johnny and Eric Burke painted the, the American flag. I fucking love oh, that Oh, yeah, shot. that was a good one. That was a really good one. Oh, man. And, uh, yeah, I, I, it's really important for me right now to just, like, I intend to put together a legacy for Johnny, and that is on the to-do list as well because I don't think a lot of people realize what a rock he was and what what he meant to the magazine what he did for the magazine and who he was and so that's going to go up and rest in peace johnny too because that was heart-wrenching that's the biggest loss i i think i've suffered and i'm not going to go there but um uh favorite issues number four was huge for me purple haze i'll always love that issue number one um the aton one uh god there's uh, there's so many dude that's a hard question i would have to actually sit down with each issue which they're all in the other room um and go through meticulously with that to like really come up with a proper answer for that question because there's just so much history in each one for me that i can't just it's like asking somebody what their favorite kid is yeah how, how many issues were there by the end um, I knew the answer to that at some point. <laughs> 53, maybe? Is that right? That's a lot to choose from then. I'm not sure if I'm counting the last issue that we didn't print. Volume. Yeah, I don't know. Volume 14, number two, I think was. Volume 14, number three may have been the one that was stolen or number two. I can't remember. Mm. 
Oh, and Carlos, fuck. That's another one, that issue, uh, when we had Carlos's interview in there. Um, oh, God, there's so many. Too many good ones. Sorry, I can't give you a more definitive answer on no, that. No, that's good. You just mentioned some really good photos too and brought back memories, even for me, just thinking about, you know, reading those issues back in the day. Um, Maddie Louis- Mansell, Faith. Oh, yeah. Someone just posted, yeah, obviously a lot of Matt Man stuff is going around, but yeah, somebody posted that article, that page recently also. Um, Aldelega asks, any feelings or opinions or advice for women's, for the women's blade scene? You know, it's really hard because I have always been, when I was like making the magazine early on and so forth, being, you know, what I was always surrounded by guys and have to deal with whatever. And, um, you know, in issue four is the story, not bad for a girl, because that's what you hear when you're a girl all the time. Well, it's not bad for a girl. How about it's just not bad? <laughs> How about I'm just, okay, you know, like why, why the comparison? Exactly, and, yeah. Uh, when I did the Nobody's Bitch tour, like that was fucking phenomenal. Those that was rad, like, by the way. That was, yeah, <laughs> I, that was incredible. Uh, to me, that was the beginning of, of girls really skating, really, really, really skating, you know, like, uh, cause that was something I always had our time with. I was, they were like, you run the magazine, how can you not have girls? I'm like, if a girl deserves a shot, and I know this sounds fucking harsh, if a girl deserves a shot, she's gonna get a fucking shot. And you'll look back and you'll see people like Mimi Shing, Don Everett and stuff, you know, like where that skater, because I don't see girl skater and guy skater. I just see skater. Mm -hmm. So I understand having to like put it, but I've just always been against separation in any way. Um, I don't like it. I like for us to all be skaters. And I, I understand the need to like converge together when no one's supporting you, but Again, I just, I don't like segregation in any form. I like for it to all be whatever. So I would say that I'm speaking directly to each and every girl when I say my advice would be the same as it would be for any of you guy skaters out there. Skate and just always make sure you know why you're skating and what your goals are in terms of your motivations for skating and never be, never be afraid to just do whatever you feel like doing, how you feel like doing it, because you know the whole thing is it's, it's about you. It's not about you know you, you won't find many photos of me from the past because I always shied away from the camera because it was an invasion to me of my skating. <laughs> like I'm not gonna pose, I'm not gonna do a shot for you. No, but go away, I'm skating. So just to always make sure that you are fully enjoying what you do and that you're enjoying it for yourself. And that, uh, you know, there's no better feeling than, than setting out to do a trick and then accomplishing it. Nothing, nothing ever compares to that, you know? So, I just wanted to show a picture of you skating here in Daily Bread issue one, just so everyone could see, all the, all the women could see you shredding back the, there. That's one of those photos where I was like, I'm not, they were doing a photo shoot that day. And uh, I don't even know how he got that photo because I was like, literally, everyone was like skating for the camera. And I was just skate. literally every photo that I see of myself in the past, I'm like, fuck, man, those guys had it right in terms of like, I never thought about like 20 years from now, actually being able to look back and see skating photos of myself, you know, mm. that was kind of dumb, but uh, <laughs> there's very few. There's even a clip somewhere and it's me skating on 
when I did this MTV thing. It's me skating. But then there's uh, this girl, Teresa, I think, in there. <laughs> she just happens to have on a top that looks like mine. I'm like, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that happened a lot of skate videos yeah. back in the day, too. Just because you, know, you, you dress the same people thought you were the same person. Yeah, like, right? I think there's like, a picture somebody posted on Facebook from back in the days of Aaron Spawn, and it's Netta. And they tagged me in it. And I'm like, no, nope, <laughs> not me. It's actually funny that you mentioned that, like, the clips, because um, in the chat, Ryan Schutte asks about um, a flip you did in Hoax One. Did you have a clip in Hoax One? Do I? Yeah. I never, I don't, I'm not you sure. Don't remember. <laughs> You're not sure? I, I, I don't remember. Is, ask him, is there, is there a, a clip of me in there? Is there, is there a clip of Angie in Hoax One? There is a Dare to Air. Dare to Air? You had yeah. a bunch of clips in Dare to Air though. Yeah. Like I a little section. Of us <laughs> <laughs> they were actually at my house that house in laguna because i was djing at the time and i had a <clears throat> there was a i don't know how somehow i got a hold of a little mini ramp and i wanted to put it up there at the house and so there was this home being built down the street and there was one of those backhoe like a little uh bobcat and <clears throat> it had a flat tire but it had been sitting there for months so i was like well fuck i'm gonna take this bobcat so i took the bobcat and put a new tire on it and I, I stole the bobcat and I took it up and I cleared the land. I almost went over the cliff because I don't know how to drive a bobcat. So I cleared the land up there and put that mini ramp on it. And uh, and then one day somebody came knocking. They're like, um, hey, can we uh, get our bobcat back? What? <laughs> so that part in Dare to Air, is, it was a tiny little shitty mini ramp. But um, we had a trampoline up there. We had the mini ramp. We were like in paradise skating and so forth so yeah there's the, the bit in dare to air and maybe there's something in hoax probably we were in yeah, Japan. Shudi said a yellow daily bread shirt you have you have plenty in hoax he said i have what he said you have plenty in hoax one and <laughs> y yellow daily bread shirt she's yellow well, shirt <laughs> that would be the shirts that i had printed for dare to air tour because hoax one i think happened directly after dare to air if i'm not mistaken I think I still have a yellow daily bread shirt. I know my mom does. Damn, that would be, that's some memorabilia right there. Yeah, but who else has one? Oh, Jesse Ritter in Amsterdam sent me a photo of his dad wearing his original daily bread shirt. Yeah, those were the, those were actually still my favorite shirt, the yellow ones with the original logo on them. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to watch Hoax One now and see. Yeah, what the hell I'm curious too now. Me too. Okay, I'm going to throw the hammer down. Um, or else my, my girlfriend is going to be really pissed at me. <laughs> so I got to do one one more question. Sorry, guys. Hi, Shooty. Uh, Angie says, hi, Shooty. Um, Mr. Wedgwood says, any chance of bringing back Daily Bread merch, shirts, stickers, etc." That's really a funny question because uh, I had this whole goal of going to Blading Cup this year and like getting a, uh, I wanted to get a motorhome ish thing here van i don't know u-haul and get all the sd crew larry fagan kato bo i just wanted to get everybody and just make a road trip down to the blade cup and i was going to sell these back issues out of the back like i did issue one of daily bread selling it out of the back of the car at the skate parks i just wanted to come and bring so that everybody that came to support blade cup 
uh, would have first dibs on these back issues. I was gonna just set up shop there. And there's a secret thing that uh, <clears throat> hopefully Arlo remembers that uh, all I can say on that is, yeah, uh, it's on my to-do list. Oh, I would love to see that. Yeah, it's something that I really, really wanna do. So I will make that happen. Um, there was something else to that. Well, can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone well, knows that more shit's coming now, more daily break gear. So keep an eye out. Hopefully soon we'll, have, we'll see some coming up. Even you could just sell them on the web. Everyone will buy them. Yeah. I mean, I still have a little bit of merch. Jethro got, <laughs> and it sounds so pathetic. Jethro got stolen. Um, yeah, I had like all, all this Jethro merch and stuff and I, I had no room to take it, put it anywhere or anything. So uh, this woman in um, Oceanside or whatever down here, a little like more south, she was going to put it in her shop. <laughs> she just stole everything. <laughs> what the hell? So some woman has a storage unit with like, uh, I think John Starr was asking me about Jethro cargo pants and stuff. So yes, yeah, everyone in the chat right now is yeah, screaming Jethro, Jethro Cargo yeah. pants. Make, make some right? shirts. I love those pants. So anywho. Well, Angie, thank you again so much for coming on. Arlo, we're sorry. Your record for the longest podcast has only lasted two days. But oh, this is sorry. well worth it and well spent. <laughs> this is well worth it and well spent. We definitely have to have you on again soon another yeah, time. Yeah, well, modern shit, new shit. Yeah. We 100% have to have you on multiple times. We have to have you on again as like a correspondent. This is amazing. I'm never uh, going to another email. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm totally joking. I love what you guys are doing, man. It's it's just awesome. It's been I'm great. Learning, Thank you so much. I'm learning new stuff. Like I get to like sit back from the outside and like just learn it again. Like I'm a grom. We all learned so much today on this podcast. It's yeah. been incredible. This is one for the books. And um, again, I just want to say uh, thank you for everything, your contribution. It's been enormous. It's been huge in our sport. It created so many people. It helped build this family to an incredible degree. I, from what I see in the chats, there's so much love here. And I think if you, if you did want to um, put out some clothes and put out some stuff that you would have this, uh, the support of the industry behind you. So um, that's something to think about. And, I will. Uh, and tell yeah. everyone on there, I, I can't type on here. I love them right back, man. Thank you. <laughs> um, we'll have you on again soon, Angie. Thank you so okay. much. Definitely. Angie, have a great night. Everyone else, thank you for watching. We'll see you on the next one. Bye.